0: Welcome. Uh, I am your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOT, and joined, as always, every Thursday evening with my boy, Cody Saftik. You guys can follow him on Twitter at CJ Saftik, and now you can follow and subscribe to his YouTube channel. Well, I have the link in the description below. I believe it is CJ MMA. Make sure you guys go check that out. Uh, finally dropping content over there. Very happy for my guy, Cody. That's a long time coming. Uh, let's just start off with that. How do you? How, how does it feel to to be behind the reins of a YouTube channel and uh, doing your own content, brother?
1: Man, it's too much work for like the last ten years. <laughs> yeah, for like for the last ten years, I've worked in TV, right? So it's a team. You've got your camera guy, you've got your editors, you've got your talent, you've got someone who's producing it and directing it, and it's like a full team comes together and does it all, right? So now when you're doing your own thing, and you know how it is, because you're like the oh, king yeah. of the grind, it's like. You're running your own social media you have to have a twitter you have to have an instagram i guess my people might be trying to use tiktok and you have to have all these different platforms and you have your facebook and you have your youtube and you're uploading stuff and you're checking your analytics and you got to make sure you you create a, the proper thumbnail so now you got to yeah. have graphic design skills and editing skills and audio equipment's not working and the lighting doesn't look good and then you 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 shoot you study the card you shoot the card you upload the card you promote the the show, you do all that, and then, what, two days later, there's just a new event, and, like, you get right back on it, but whatever, man, it's, like, it's something I gotta do by myself, so I'm just doing it, and, uh, yeah, I love doing recaps, so I think that's something that's gonna be fairly straightforward to do. As far as doing Bellator previews, doing PFL previews, if you're gonna do the research, you're gonna watch the cards anyways, Yeah. why not just turn the camera on and do it? So, there's so many things I still gotta do, like, I gotta figure out how to make it into, like, an audio podcast, and uploaded to, uh, you know, iTunes and Stitcher and Podomatic and all these different places that you can go and just get the audio version as well as start creating thumbnails and start creating this and that. But anyways, it's just like a walk before you can run. So baby steps, I got bigger plans in the works, but for the time being, yeah, happy to just throw some videos. And I'm really appreciative of everybody stopping by and supporting. And it's been like two days or something. There's like almost 300 uh, subscribers. So yeah, again, just I, I really do appreciate all the feedback and all the positive support.
0: I you knew as soon as that you as soon as you kick that thing off in like like legit gear, everybody would support you right off the bat. So I'm glad that the numbers are starting to show themselves and it'll continue to be a, a, a an uphill climb from there. But you got some great support, right? You got those media uh or mayo media network guys and obviously myself too in case you need any type of help in regards to that stuff, I will be happy to help you out. But let's get to the show. Let's stop quit quit jerking each other off here. Right? We are here propping you up for UFC Vegas 27 headline by Cody Garbrandt and Rob Font, a pivotal bantam weight scrap one that i find very interesting considering that cordy Garbrandt was scheduled to fight for the flyweight belt no less than seven months ago just under seven months ago i want to say against mr uh, Davison Figueiredo, he pulls out of that fight and decides you know what fuck it i'm not cutting that weight anymore i'm gonna stick at 135 pounds it's probably a decent cut for him regardless to get to 135 so let's just stick it out there try to get back to the title which he can absolutely do considering the type of level of skill that he has it's just his durability issues that seem to be a little bit of a problem and Sometimes the brain, hopefully he can get that shit in check and he can get some Ws and probably find himself in a, in a title shot not too far into the future. All right, I do want to remind you guys, make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe, do all that good stuff. And then obviously, make sure you guys check out Cody's channel as well. Link is in the description below, so make sure you guys go subscribe over there for all your recaps, reviews, and all that type of stuff. Cody's got you guys covered all right let's not waste too much more time let's get into the fights first and foremost we got demir ismagulov making his return after an extended layoff against rafael Alves. the last time we saw demir ismagulov inside the cage was august of 2019 he was scheduled to fight Alves last week that fight gets pushed back by a week i believe it was covid related issues whatever it may be at least demir ismagulov is back and i've been pounding this guy's drum since he's made it to the UFC, I believe he truly is a very talented fighter. May not be the most flashy and getting all these crazy highlight reel knockouts or anything like that, but he's one of those guys that's going to go out there and secure a W. and 22-1 in his career. Very, very impressive record. Not to mention coming up in the regional Russian scene. You know, we know that's a lot different than fighting in the LFA's and the TKO's and the Alaska FC's. So we know he's kind of been through the grinder already. Now it's time for him to prove it on the big, big show in the UFC. Since being in the UFC, I believe he's gone 3-0 at this point in time. Uh decent wins. You know, Alex Georgie's obviously not the greatest win. Uh that was more of so, I believe, of a hometown type of thing. They're fighting down there in the Australasia Asia area. Uh Georgie's from Australia, if I'm not mistaken. Takes a loss there. Joel Alvarez uh comes in first fight against Demirz Magulov, loses that fight. And then the most impressive of the batch, especially considering how now Tiago Moises is doing big win for Moises or uh, is Magulov over Moises. Um just an efficient point striker, right? That's pretty much what we're getting with Ismagulov. We'll decent takedown defense, which is why he was able to keep the fight vertical with Thiago Moises. And I'm expecting to do him to do the same thing here against Rafael Aves. Alves has great. BJJ accolades, good, uh, you know, good, st- uh, good work on the ground, uh, crushing top pressure when he actually wants to go there. But it seems he's more reliant on his power punching, his flashy techniques, spinning techniques, wherever the hell it may be. But he throws absolute power into his punches. This seems like a tailor-made matchup for Demir Magulov to go out there and get away from the big punches. Uh, Keep it at range, do what he needs to do to get the win here in terms of getting his strikes and combinations together. And, uh, you know, stuff the takedowns if Alves decides to do that. And we know Alves has a a little bit of a sketchy gas tank, too. And that's something that we could possibly see as Magulov go out there and take advantage of. You know me, the first thing I think about when I see a guy with cardio issues, what's that round three prop looking like right now? Right now, we got uh, plus 11.25 for Isma Gulov. Isma Gulov. seems like the type of guy that will play a little bit more safe rather than go for the finish, especially after being out of the cage for close to two years at this point in time. So I'd be a little bit... Uh, unless Alves is gassing, completely falls off a cliff come that third round. I don't really see the the chances of it hitting. Will I still sprinkle it? you damn right. Anything over plus 1,000 that I see has a, a little bit of a chance of hitting. I'm more than likely going to take a sprinkle on it. So that's what I'm going to do here. But I do think the, the best... And uh, the the most obvious outcome is going to be Isma Gulov to win by decision, which is currently sitting at minus 125. Absolutely accurate line. Uh, I absolutely agree with that. That's what I'm going to be hammering. How about you? How do you see this fight going down?
1: Yeah, pretty much the same thing for the most part. I think Ishmagulov is uh he's very technical. He's one of these guys uh, you pretty much nailed it, right? He's not the most entertaining guy. He's not the most fan-friendly. I could see a lot of fans not getting behind him. There's probably a clear reason why he's the very first fight buried on a free card. Yeah. Uh considering he's on a 17 fight winning streak. Insane. But there's a reason he's on a 17 fight winning streak. It's like he just he knows how to win. He's got skills everywhere. He's a good striker. He's got a very proficient jab. He normally goes out there. He's not he doesn't seem like the biggest output guy but he's routinely doubling up his opponents. And that's because he's so very difficult to hit. I mean, he's technically very sound, but he's defensively very sound. Takedown defense, solid. Takedown offense, pretty solid. Um, Yeah, I think you mentioned the fact that he's 3-0 in the UFC, and he's taking on an increasingly better level of competition, for the most part, mostly grapplers, and they've got nothing on him. I mean, the Tiago Moises fight especially, he does drop him. Now, when you look at Gulov, what's his one fault? Well, maybe that being so by the book and having a high ring IQ. It's like he doesn't overexert himself. He doesn't uh, open himself up. He doesn't, he doesn't go for that kill shot. So he does have a lot of decisions. The three UFC wins are all by decisions. And the fact that he's beating a guy like Alex Gorgies by decision is, is enough to at least show you that uh, he's not really going out there and chasing those finishes. However, when you look at Rafael Alves, I mean, Alves has got nine pro losses and he's been finished all nine times. (laughs) So knocked out three times. He's been submitted six times. So Again, I, I would like to say the, the prop I was looking for as well was the Ishmagulov by decision, which is minus 125. The fight goes the distance, which is minus 155. Um, but yeah, I got I got a kind of a problem in the back of my mind that's like Alves could just topple over. Now, him, the last time he's been finished was, I believe, Jason Fisher. And that, that fight was like five years ago. So he hasn't been finished lately, but he also only fights about once a year. And the fact that he won on Contender Series and decides, you know what, I'm going to drop down to 145 pounds shows up to fight Pat Sabatini in the UFC and misses weight by 11 pounds. And the UFC is just like... Yeah, that's a no dice. You know what? Back up to 55. Fight with Ishmagulov for you. Like, oh no, that's what you don't want. That's get that's getting thrown in the bad books. That's like in the bad graces. So, yeah, I think he just he does this thing. He keeps his fight standing. He picks apart. He picks him apart. But yeah, I would be interested to seeing and maybe even having a sprinkle of that third round TKO prop myself. Just because if he does get Alves tired, if he does compromise him and he turns up the pace a little bit, it's not that he can't finish guys. It's that his last four or five fights now have all been to decision. However, he does have a third-round knockout win over Raul Tudorelli, who's the current M1 champ and just a beast amongst men. Um, he's knocked out better men than this. He's got a win over Artom Damkowski. Same thing, you know, like, he's not a first-round finisher. He's typically a break-you-down-and-finish-you-in-late-in-that-second-into-the-third. He even shows fourth-and-fifth-round stoppages on his record. But that goes all back to what, what you're saying. Doesn't finish him in the first two, but apply that pressure deep in, in the third and... If I learn one lesson from last weekend, although I've learned a few, but if I learn one key lesson from last weekend is $75,000 bonuses make people do crazy things. So Ishmagulov might be hunting for that TKO. Who knows? If it does happen in the third, like you said, 12 to 1, why not have a sprinkle? But uh, as far as an actual prop on this fight that I like the most, it would have been that Ishmagulov by decision and the fight goes the distance.
0: Shout out to Andrew Lee going for that triangle, busting that decision prop (laughs) that you're trying to drop on us last week. But again, Anthony Shevchenko shows some uh, horrible uh, fight IQ, especially being in that triangle for as long as she was. I do want to say, uh, as a possible hedge, in case people are a little bit scared about the ring rust for Mr. Ismogulov, Alves to win in round one is plus 11.25. So, you can definitely throw it out there, and I do think that that's his best path to victory, trying to start him early, and if he's not able to, I think the it's just going to wear on him. Not to mention, Demir Izmagulov in the nine rounds that he's fought inside the UFC hasn't lost one. <laughs> so that just tells you the type of fighter that this guy is. All right, let's move on to the next fight, and we got Demir number two. This is actually the second time that Demir Hadzevich and Demir Izmogulov have actually fought on the same card, which I find fucking hilarious, but we got Demir Hadzovic going up against Yancey Medeiros. How Medeiros is still around, I have no idea, um, you know, not saying that he's a horrible fighter, but, you know, how is he still like hanging around? He's on a three fight skid right now. Uh, All those losses, obviously, Cowboys Cerrone when he headlined that fight, if I'm not mistaken, it was down in Austin, Texas, Uh, then loses the next fight to Gregor Gillespie. Let's give him a a pass on that one, considering it's fucking Gregor. And then Lando Venata loses that fight as well, you know. I've never really been impressed with Yancey. I never really understood what he truly brings to the table that sets him apart from his other opponents. You know, the Alex Cowboy Oliveira fight—that was one where I was all over Oliveira when I was when I got the earlier lines on him in that like lower minus two hundred range. And then after he busts his nose, uh, he completely gasses and Yancy Madero's goes out there and finishes him in the third round. So that one really opened my eyes to him a little bit. But then you see his next three fights and you're like, oh, okay. if Cowboy didn't uh, gas in that fight, he probably would have ended up winning that fight. But that's just a wild card that you're betting on whenever you bet on Cowboy Oliveira, which is why I'm a little bit more skeptical of, uh, you know, tailing him in the future. But in this matchup, I think it's mainly going to take place on the feet. And I got to give the slight advantage here to Demir Hadzovic, who seems to have a little bit more power in his hands. I think that's ultimately what it's going to come down to. And if Jansen Medeiros wants to go out there and try to, you know, flex his BJJ muscles or his wrestling muscles, I'm not sure how successful he'll truly be. I think he's the better grappler. Don't get me wrong. We've definitely seen the kryptonite for Demir Hadzevich in the past has been guys that have been able to take him down and ground him and nullify the power that's coming their way. But I just don't really see that coming from Yancey here. Could happen, don't get me wrong. But I have very little confidence in either guy or very little confidence in either guy here. But I do ultimately like uh Hadzovic. I'm just a little bit stumped in terms of uh, the, the method here. Does he win by knockout? Cause I think that's a, a decent prop plus three forty five. Or uh to him win by decision is plus two twenty. I'm ultimately gonna go plus two twenty on the uh Hadzovich decision line as I think he'll just piece him up on the feet, uh, but won't put him away. I think Yadsey is quite durable. I think he, you know, he's very um uh, has a ton of hard to survive almost 10 minutes full with Gregor Gillespie kind of smashing your face. And, you know, hats off to you. I don't think that Hadzevich is going to be able to do that type of damage, but I do think we'll, we'll see him go out there and actually, you know, land some good strikes on the feet, be the more definitive and, and effective striker, and I think that Yancey is going to start to fade the more this fight goes, but I don't think it's going to be to the extent that we actually see Hadzovich go out there and finish him. So ultimately, I will go uh, Hadzovich by decision, plus 220. How are you seeing this one?
1: Yeah, I don't love this fight, but I think I kind of ended up on the Yancey Medeiros side of things, okay. and there's not a whole lot to love on that, in that Yancey hasn't won a fight since 2017, so we're now coming up on three and a half years since the last time he's been victorious in the UFC. Yeah, I, I guess I would argue that the best days are probably behind him. He's still only 33 um, but yeah three fight skid and it's against the the sports elite but yeah where do, where do you go from here it's going to be really important to see the weigh-ins tomorrow I know you're doing the weigh-ins show that'll be a topic of discussion I believe just because yeah. Yancey's a big guy and Yancey fought as high as 185 pounds and has fought as low as 145 pounds uh, his last couple of fights have been at 55. He fought Lando Venada at 55, and he had fought previously at, at 155 as well. But when you go back to his best run, so to speak, it's at 170 pounds. Like He, he, he beats Sean Spencer, uh, Eric Silva, and Cowboy Oliveira all at 170. Loses to Cerrone at 170, and then fights his next two fights at 55. So because he's coming off a long layoff... It's like, oh, okay, it's long layoff. You're 33 now. You've got to cut the weight. But he's actually, um, if you look at Demir Hadzivik, he's supposed to fight Nicholas Mata last week, right? Yeah. The fight gets scrapped, so Hadzivik gets rebuilt against Yancey Medeiros, but Yancey Medeiros didn't have another fight lined up. So it's almost like Yancey's taking the fight on a couple of weeks' notice. He's coming off a, a long layoff, and he's got to make 155 pounds, which is, get he used to fight at 45, but he's a he's a pretty big guy. Uh, so I'd like to see him on the scales. But honestly, the two things that I think these make him a live dog, one, he has fought in the better level of competition. So as much as we can say that he's on a three-fight losing skid, it's like Lando Venato, who looked fantastic last weekend, Gregor Gillespie, yeah. who looked fantastic two weeks ago, Dallas not so much. But again, it is... A Donald Cerrone three years ago that uh, did have a little bit left in the tank. He's got the win over Alex Oliveira. He's fought Francisco Trinaldo. He's fought in Dustin Poirier. He's beaten John McDessie He fought Jim Miller. He's fought Rustam Hoblov and Edwards. The experience factor goes his way, right? He's also got a five-inch reach advantage. So I figure this to be striker versus striker. Hadzevic's Hadzivik's kryptonite's been his takedown defense. He prefers to stand. He prefers to strike. Lands those knees. land those big uh, overhand rights and just uh, you know a power striker. Yancey meanwhile he's a he's a long distance guy. He likes to jab. Likes to stay the outside likes to pedal around the octagon but they're striker versus striker at at the very least right so it should play towards a little bit yancey yancey's got the volume when you look at demir hansvik a problem with landing those big power strikes all the time is that there's not a whole lot of volume there the highest in six fights in the ufc the most sorry in seven fights in the ufc The most that he's ever scored in a fight was uh, against Nick Hine when he scored 71. His next highest total is the the Polo Reyes fight where he lands 58 before knocking him out into the second round. That's a fight he actually uses his wrestling in as well. So I I guess the problem I'm getting with Hadzovic is I know he's a strong, powerful striker, but he's capitalized on beating non-strikers, right? Uh, Marcin Held, he's down two rounds and he catches him in the third. Nick Hine, it was a version of Nick Hine that retired immediately after the fight. And again, it was fairly low volume. The Polo Reyes fights, like Polo Reyes fanned out of the UFC uh, fairly quickly now didn't he can he defeat that level sure but Yancey's headline cards yancy has been there against some tough guys Yancy's given an okay count of himself and if he comes in here and he can just manage to stay um at distance use that jab use that 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 footwork use that mobility I could see him keeping this thing close I could see him just having the bigger volume so again when you look at Handsvik and it's You know, 71 is his his highest in his career, 58 in that second one. Yancey's gone out there and landed, you know, uh, just solid performances where he's going tit for tat, right? And here's another thing that's sneaky about Yancey Medeiros. He's dropped seven opponents in his career. Knocked out Eves Edwards, there's a knockdown there. Joe Proctor obviously knocked him out. But he drops John McDessie, he knocked down Francisco Tornaldo, he knocked down Sean Spencer twice, he knocked down Eric Silva, he knocked down Alex Cowboy Oliveira twice, and then he starts fighting the elite make no mistake about it this guy does have power in his hands he is a good striker he does pose something I'm a little bit worried about his durability but I think if you're going to give me the right line on it uh I, I think that Yancy Medeiros is live so it's plus 110 to me I chalked this one up as a dog or pass situation I end up on Yancey Medeiros of course this is a prop show so the prop that I like the most on this one uh <clears throat> and I don't even love it a ton but for plus 330 Yancy Medeiros by decision like Hadzivik's not getting knocked out unless your name is Meribach Taysimov he, yeah. he's got a hell of a chin on him, right? And with Yancey, again, he's not a huge power puncher. He's knocking guys down. He's keeping them honest. He's using that jab. He's using that length. He'll hopefully use this five inches of reach advantage, but I don't see him knocking out hadzevic So if, if this thing's going to be an under, hadzevic's going to catch him at some point, and knock Yancy Medeiros out. But if, if I am right, and Yancey Medeiros does end up winning this fight, I can see him hitting that decision prop, and it's plus 330. That was uh, that was the, the, the area I decided to go with that one. But again, I, I can see better spots on this card. I wouldn't go all the way in on Medeiros versus Adzevic.
0: I do want to give a quick shout-out to our uh, one of our viewers, RoboABC. Over 2.5, not too bad. Minus 130, I believe, is that line. I do see it going to a decision. Uh, and, yeah, I, I, I don't mind that at all. I do want to confirm that it's actually minus 130. Uh, over 2.5, yeah, minus 130. I, I think that's a decent line. I don't see how the guy getting finished here. Glad that we're on opposite sides here. We'll see if that continues the trend throughout uh, this Podcast. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We got, uh, I believe it's, yeah, Joshua Kulibao going up against Ilan Shah. Obviously, Yeb- uh, UFC debutant Ilan Shah coming in here. uh The most notable fight that we really see on his record as of late is a uh, loss to Zhu Rong over three, uh, about three fights ago, where he lost by KO in the first round. Obviously, we saw Zhurong uh, debut a couple of weeks ago at UFC 261 and fall short against Rodrigo uh, Vargas. So I'm not sure how much that, that loss uh, really affects what we're going to be seeing with Elon Shah in the spot. I'm just not a big fan of, of what I've been seeing from him, right? Seems to have a wide stance, likes to strike, good distance striking at times, decent ground and pound at times as well. But again, level of competition. Big question mark. You know, I mean, especially fighting over there in that China scene, WLF wars and those promotions that they have over there uh, compared to what we've been seeing Joshua Cooley about going up against in just his last two fights alone, right? Now, the, the issue that I have with the Charles Jordan fight I don't think Charles should have been that big of a favorite to begin with, right? Like, I think you know, Charles was still riding the momentum of that Dujo-Troy knockout that he had, I believe, in his second UFC fight. Um, so we, I feel like we got to chalk it up to that a little bit. But you and me both know Charles. Like, the kid's talented. Don't get me wrong. But even at the UFC level, you can see that he has a very beatable uh, style. And Joshua Kuliba had that hard-nosed style in their fight where he was able to, you know, drop him, have some success himself, uh, kind of put it on Charles. And Charles had his own success in that fight, too. But by the ending of it obviously we saw it was a draw but we could tell that charles was definitely not worthy of minus 250 minus 300 favorite going into that fight joshua cool has some decent tools and i think he has enough to go out there and beat elon shaw uh in terms of what shaw brings to the table like again the striking i don't think it's going to be too big of an impact here against cool who should be able to close the distance get in his face and kind of rough him up there um Again, just like the Demir Hadzovic fight, I'm having a little bit of issues in terms of how I would bet Kulibay here because I'm not dropping that minus two fifty yet. It wasn't that long ago that this guy was plus two hundred uh, in both of his last two fights, right? Again, even though I think that the line was priced improperly last time against Jordan, there's a reason people felt that way because they're just not uh, ranking Kulibay that highly. Now he goes to a draw with Charles Jordan, and all of a sudden he's minus two fifty with the UFC debutant. I'm not, I'm not on that train yet. I think he wins the fight. I don't mind the 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 in-the-distance line because uh, we I do think that Yilan has a little bit of a dur- durability issue and Kulibao definitely throws with some power and some heat. Plus 310 for Kulibao to win by KO. Not too bad of a spot. Uh, but ultimately I think I am gonna go with the decision prop at plus one thirty-five. I think he just puts it on him from minute one to minute 15. Doesn't really give him an inch, but it doesn't ultimately end up uh finishing him. So I'll go with uh I'll go with Kulibao and I'll go with decision at on plus one three-five. Do you think he has the finishing upside? Or uh do you even think Yilan is, is a live underdog? Here. Yeah, I'll probably
1: take the pass on it, but I was kind of leaning towards the Josh Kulabau uh, by TKO, which is at like plus plus three 300 as well. It's a 3-1 to one pl- prop play. Kulabau, before he came to the UFC, was a pretty good striker. Guy with, you know, decent power in his hands, generally finds the target, shows a decent amount of knockouts, shows a decent amount of first round knockouts, but the biggest win of his career Prior to coming to the UFC was he beat Hidalfo Marquez, who I know is on an awful run right now. My God. But as far as like a Brazilian trans- transplant in Australia, uh, BJJ Black Belt, guy with a lot of experience. Um, he, it was it was a solid victory, but he goes out there and he, he gets a head kick knockout, KOs him. That sets him up for some fight with Josh Payne and KOs him. Now he's looking like, damn, this guy's a KO artist. Even this Raphael Bartlett fight, right, for the Hex Fight Series um, Title. It's a fifth round knockout. Kulaev's cardio on the regional scene looks solid. You can tape study him into the third, fourth, fifth round, and I mean, he keeps coming at these guys. His power translates pretty good. It looks like he's not a great fighter, but you know, an okay sign for the UFC. And depending on how they match him up, he'll he'll have some fun fights ahead of him. They give him Jalen Turner. Not exactly a great fight for a debuting fighter from Australia who just doesn't have the grappling credentials to keep up with someone like Turner. And Turner is also just very long, very awkward, got a weird frame for the division, catches off, off, basically off guard, and he's able to take him out. Is that a Jorday fight you see return to the power. Koulibau, I mean, he outstrikes Jorday in the first two rounds, but I thought he won the first round. The second round, he hurts Jorday. I thought he definitely won the second round. And then the third round, he's up two. I actually did score the third round as a 10-8 for Charles Jourday. I know one of the judges scored it exactly like that. One of the judges gave it all three rounds for Charles Jourday. Blasphemy. Yeah, I know. And he's, he, it was the French judge, so no no surprise. <laughs> there. And, uh, and then one of them gave it 29 20 at Koulibaut. But, I mean, he gave a pretty good, uh, per- pretty good performance there, in my opinion. I and, mean, again, you do see glimpses of the power. You do see glimpses of of, uh, you know, the striking there. His cardio, which was good on the regional scene, did not check out against Charles Roday. But if there was one characteristic about Charles Roday, I would say is his best feature is he's got a great gas tank. You know, kid never slows down. Keeps Kid keeps coming, makes mistakes. But, I mean, he does have a, a great gas tank. So maybe you give Koulibau a pass there. What I'm saying, though, is that I think he's got some underrated power. He's got some okay striking. And when I look, look at Shailan, uh yeah, I mean, he, he lasted two minutes against Zhu Rong. Zhu Rong, 19 years old. He's just a kid and he comes to the UFC and you see him against Vargas and it's like he was very tentative. He didn't let his hands go. The few strikes he did land didn't have a whole lot of power behind them. There wasn't a whole lot of conviction behind a lot of his strikes and he just looked like lost and out of place. So when you look at, uh, at, at Sha Yulan, it's like ah, oh, geez, you know what? He's kind of built similar. How does a 19-year-old kid in Rong had like, he was what, 17-3, and three, right? 17-2? Yeah. H- how does a 19-year-old kid have that much experience? How does a 20-year-old kid have that much experience? But it's like It's smoke and mirrors, man. It's just like a blown-up record from China. And Shailan, he fought 10 times in 2017 alone. That's crazy. 10 times in the calendar year. 2020 was a pandemic year. Uh, What you can see from the Bellator card tomorrow night, literally three-quarters of the card hasn't fought since 2019. None of them (laughs) have fought during the pandemic. This kid fought five times during the pandemic. Right? Like What
0: pandemic?
1: <laughs> yeah, what pandemic? He's just fighting. And, and then so when you look at the Zhu Rong fights, it's like it, it, was a, it was a year ago. It wasn't even a year ago. It was like eight months ago, seven months ago. He's getting knocked out by this 20-year-old Chinese prospect in two minutes into the first round. I don't think his, his, his chin is very good. From the tape that I've been able to watch on him, he loves to wrestle. He loves to clinch. He loves to initiate those those... You know those positions but he, he's not overly strong he's not a great wrestler it's like that's where he feels most comfortable because he can't take a great punch his cardio is not all that good how i see this one playing out is he's going to try to grind on cool and i think that cool again his cardio can go back to the way it used to be is uh you know after a, a competitive first round he's going to chin check this guy and put him over and at three to one it was like worth a sprinkle but uh, again this is fairly low level and if cool tires or does get managed to get taken down. I'm going to be really upset with myself on backing Kulibau with this kind of price tag. So, and again, I, I could see a pass in order, but for three to one, I figured that Kulibau by knockout was worth a little sprinkle at the very least.
0: Yeah, I don't hate it at all. Again, I need to see a little bit more for Kulibau to trust him at that minus two, five, zero, like you're talking about. But still, uh, that plus three, ten does look a little bit intriguing considering what we're getting with both guys here. All right. Let's move on to the next fight here. We got Bruno Silva going up against Victor Rodriguez. Minus Minus three, four, five 345 on Bruno Silva, plus 285 on Victor Rodriguez. This, The way that I feel about this fight is how I felt about Ricky Simone against Gaetano Perello back in January, where I'm like, Simone by pretty much whatever he wants, right? That's exactly how I feel about this fight, where Bruno Silva being... You know, maybe not the top of this division, but still a very skilled guy showed re- or made really good account of themselves in his losses as well, especially that Tagir Ulenbekov fight, which, you know, I had an Ulenbekov ticket or parlay that fight. And when that hit the judges scorecards, I'm like, fuck, I might be in trouble here. And luckily for us, the judges come through for us and, and, and fucked it up. I look back at MMA decisions and a lot of people actually ended up giving it to Ulenbekov, which kind of surprised me um but still i think that silva showed some good spots in that fight you know decent takedown defense good striking was really putting it on to gear at times but then we truly saw him come to his own uh in his last fight where he was actually able to put up the w against jp bays jp bays obviously we know his cardio seems to wane the longer fights goes but those guys were going to war very good fight very fun competitive fight but then bruno silva really starts to pull away and then eventually get that knockout in the second round but here you know High-level grappler in Bruno Silva. I think there's nothing that Victor Rodriguez can truly do to win this fight. Like, you see Demir Izmagulov at minus 550, minus 600. If you put Bruno Silva off, you're probably going to get minus 500, minus uh, 600 here for Bruno Silva. And I wouldn't even be surprised to see it hit minus 500 by fight time. The guy's a a solid fighter, and I think the skill discrepancy here is vast. (laughs) I think it's miles and miles apart. Rodriguez could... Possibly knock him out in the first round, but like I think that's the very, very low outcome and a very, very low chance of actually hitting. But uh, I think Bruno Silva pretty much wins however he wants, takes this fight to the ground, slaps on that choke if he wants, or I think he beats him in the striking too. Uh, th- there's not too much for me to really go into this fight, you know, uh, just because I think it's pretty much one-sided. The odds are correct. If anything, I think they're off. I think if anything, you're getting pr- uh, value on Bruno Silva at the super chalk line. Uh, but but I think he wins at relative ease in terms of how he wins like i said any way he wants i'm expecting it to be inside the distance so inside the distance sign is minus 125 you know take my money (laughs) you know what i mean uh but but it's when you decide on the the actual method is it going to be by ko plus 130 or is it going to be by sub at plus 505 uh the 505 doesn't seem too bad you're right considering his uh grappling background if he wants to take this fight to the ground and make it quick maybe he could do it that way Uh, But I think the safest spot to be would go uh, with the inside the distance at minus 125. Another sneaky spot, I think, is the under two and a half at minus 155. That does cover any type of freak finish uh, from the Rodriguez side. Um, But I do think that the skill discrepancy is way too much here. You got a fight-ready guy in Bruno Silva training with the best of the best. Uh, You know, you see him... Constantly in the corner of Henry Suhudo when Suhudo used to fight back in the day. Uh, back in the day. God, it was only like a year ago. <laughs> what the fuck am I talking about? But you know what I mean. Uh, but uh, yeah, a guy that's very engulfed himself, very much engulfed himself in that training camp. and is a very solid fighter uh, from that training camp. I think we see him... At at his best this weekend. I just don't see what Victor Rodriguez brings to the table with his AFC background. That's truly going to be able to uh, nullify what Bruno Silva is doing. Give some credence to Rodriguez. Give me play the devil's advocate as you so like to do, and, and give us a give us a reason why you think that Rodrigo uh, or sorry uh, uh, Rodriguez is even a bit live in this fight.
1: Yeah, well, it's not like he's just fighting for Alaska FC. I mean, you can't overlook the great other promotions he's fought for, such as Medal and Mayhem and Blood, Sweat, and Beers. Of course, (laughs) Who, forget, who could ever forget about <laughs> as solid as a rock fighting championship?
0: Dude, I just want to say one thing before you get into that. One of those events, I remember watching the tape. It's literally in like a WWF ring with yeah. like a referee with like the white and black stripes in outside uh, at, in Alaska. So everybody's wearing fucking jackets and huddled up. These guys are half naked fighting each other. But yeah, go ahead. It was hilarious.
1: Yeah, dude. It's ridiculous. It's like, it definitely represents that lower level. And could he get better? Yeah, of course. If he sure. gets himself out of his comfort, zone and goes over to a a bigger camp with some better sparring partners and just pushes himself to the to the to the highest level but yeah so far he just he just hasn't I mean he's probably a very good fighter in Alaska it's just you you got to be able to move yourself beyond that he starts his career off three and two and you you watch this uh Johnny Toten fight right he gets knocked out 228 into the first the Jeff Bailey fight again not very good Adrian Yanez head kicks him in the first and you give him a pass because it's Adrian Yanez But I I do think there's a history of there maybe a durability issue. I think this guy can get hit, he can get hurt, he can get finished. And I think that, uh, yeah, with Bruno Silva, he's live for that TKO prop. Bruno Silva, I'm so glad he won that last fight because he was everybody's dog of the week everybody oh, yeah. had Bruno Silva as the dog of the week and I know you and I spoke about it personally and the biggest consensus there was this guy's far too talented to go 0-4 in the UFC when you yeah. see him not only that Tigr Ulumbekov fight where it's like uh, I know Ulymbekov won the thing is Ulymbekov is like a 5-1 favorite and on all of my tickets every single <laughs> one of my tickets every single ticket I have is an Ulymbekov <laughs> ticket right yeah. and, and it's just like he made it close he made it greasy he made it uncomfortable but the fight prior to that with David Dvorak who we'll talk about in a bit I mean he stretches David Dvorak, man. 1-1 going into the third. Close fight. Competitive fight. Gives him all he can handle. Khalid Taha. Khalid Taha was on the gear! So again i think with bruno silva he's one of these guys that's just a hard worker he's in the gym all the time he's improving and when you're in the gym with guys like henry cejudo and the patricio uh, the the pitbull brothers patricio and patricki and just like an entire crew of guys that are getting better and making improvements on the daily great coaching staff if you're really going to devote yourself and dedicate yourself you're going to make improvements and he does just that and so you sign a 12 and 12 and you come to the ufc so you make twelve thousand dollars and he loses to khalid taha okay so because you lose you get the same 12 and 12 for the next fight to which he loses to David Dvorak. Okay. Then you get a twelve and twelve to lose to to gear Ulenbekov. So effectively through three fights, he's made thirty six thousand dollars to lose. Then that JP Buys fight, not only does he win, he gets now it's twenty four thousand, he gets a fifty thousand dollar performance bonus. That's like all the hard work's coming together for. Him. Now he's got some money in his pocket. Now the fruit of his labors is starting to pay off. And now he's excited, I just got a knockout and I got a bonus and I liked it. And Daddy Dana says it's seventy five thousand now. I really do think he's going to come out. Now he is taking the fight on short notice uh, for Bondar, but outside of that, this is a guy that really embodies the term "fight ready MMA" because he's he's in the gym all the time. He's always in great shape. He's a very well-rounded fighter. He's got the grappling, like you mentioned, he prefers to get it done standing. And when you're going to be sparring rounds with guys like zahudo and, and the Pitbull brothers, you, you got to be sharp at all times. And I think he's exactly that. So. Uh, like you said, by any means necessary. However, he wants to get the job done. I'm hoping it, it is by TKO. Although I got the TKO price at plus 130, and you mentioned that the inside of the distance is 125.
0: Minus 125.
1: Oh, it's minus 125. Okay, yeah. By the TKO is is plus 130. Um, again, he does have the grappling, but I don't believe he's submitted anybody in four or five years now uh and, and i think when you see the bonus it's like oh baby but then again you got a guy from alaska who might be a little bit out of his out of the waters like if you're on top of him and you got an opportunity to snag up that neck you know you could definitely go that direction as well so maybe the inside of the distance is the safer route but uh yeah that what i what i came down on if you're not playing money line this is a prop show so we gotta hit a certain prop Is i didn't mind that bruno silva by tko at plus 130
0: I do want to ask you a question, though. Maybe you know something about this that I don't. Is this is the bonus for good 75k now? Or is it just that one last fight?
1: Yeah, I'm going to assume because it was a pay-per-view and it was a big pay-per-view that they were just going to bump it up for 75 for that one. But in the manner that Look at all the finishes that came out of the card, right? Look at all yeah. the the violence that came out of the card, all the entertainment that came out of the card, right? So, if for for the UFC, I mean, it's costing you another fifty, seventy-five thousand dollars. It's really no no more money to up three bonuses up to to seventy-five instead of fifty. And uh, if you're gonna get that much return on your dollar in terms of entertainment, then it seems like a no-brainer, right? It's a multi-billion-dollar company that uh, that creates content and delivers entertainment. You've got a lot of cards. How do you how do you get these guys to step out and take a chance? And I'll tell you how. A classic case is a guy like Bruno Silva. You imagine you you sign a four fight deal. You lost the first three fights. You effectively got paid thirty six thousand dollars to lose three times. And it probably took a year and a half. Year and a half of your life gone. Could have worked minimum wage job and made more money yeah. than that. That's but but seventy five thousand dollars. God damn, that's a golden carrot, man. And it's dangling there. Yeah. And it's like if I'm owing three and this is the last fight of my deal, why 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 wouldn't you go out there? Because winning winning, who cares? Who cares about winning, right? You still yeah. get cut. And you're owing three. It's like you gotta go out there and you gotta do something. I can see it just the the savvy veterans, they wanna get that finished. The young guy, they're hungry. The young guy, he really wants to finish. But it, it just you know, it's no more money for the UFC. To us, it's like shit, an extra twenty five thousand dollars. To the fighters, shit, an extra twenty five thousand dollars. But to Dana, you like you know how he is. Like he, he'll 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 make a half million dollar backroom handshake bet with somebody. Yeah, like money, exactly. the money's not a problem, right? They've got money, so like, you know, this, this really seems like a no-brainer. Although to answer your question, do I know for sure, I don't. It's just an assumption to me based on how the last card went it's a no brainer. The UFC back in the day remember the bonuses used to be like 60 60 70 80 they yeah. the one St. Pierre card i believe it was 124 it was it like went, yeah. it was 100 grand right? Yeah. Uh, UFC 100 it was 100 grand it was like yeah it didn't it didn't matter it was like the bigger the card the bigger the bonus. But when they capped it at 50 it was like 50 you never do 50 it was like well we're gonna do yeah we're gonna have more cards and they're gonna be all the time and it's 50 but then it's like oh sick i got the only submission on the card and there was four knockouts and then it's like well we decided to do performance bonuses so it's like come on man (laughs) i could have knocked him out too i was searching for the submission i wanted the money so it, it always comes back to the money
0: I think it was UFC 119. I might be off on it, but Frank Mir versus Krokop, where there are no finishes on the card. And then Krokop and Mir was such a stinker, but Crop or sorry, Mir knocks him out like at the ending of the fight and they exactly. still don't even give a bonus.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know what? That knockout, Muir versus Crow Cup, If you just watched the knockout, nasty. <laughs> but oh yeah, the worst fight,
0: it was horrible the fight, the
1: absolute worst fight. There was a, I believe it was Gabe Gonzaga versus Kevin Jordan from back in the day. It was the same yeah. thing. It was like there's, there's ten seconds left on the clock, and he Superman punches him, and it's like, oh my god, we waited all that time for that. But uh, okay,
0: I lied. It was, it was. We had a couple submissions on that card, and it was UFC one nineteen. Uh, but there was only one knockout, and it was a Frank Mir fight. And they didn't give it to him or something. Yeah,
1: yeah. Fair, All right. fair enough.
0: Let's uh, let's move on to this next fight here. Glad that we're both in agreement in regards to uh, Mr. Bruno Silva, especially winning it the way that he wants. Also, uh, shout out to my guy Zake here. We're talking Bellator later, boys. Uh, we won't be talking Bellator on this card, but Cody did drop a, a preview for that uh, on his channel. The link is in the description below, so make sure you guys go check that out. He goes an hour about Bellator 259, so you guys will more than be uh, satisfied with that talk rather than just hearing us trip about it a little bit at the end of the show. All right. Let's move on to the next fight here. We got another Silva coming on to uh, coming out to the cage. We got Claudio Silva going up against Court McGee in terms of odds, very close odds, uh, minus 115 Court McGee, minus 105 Claudio Silva. This one had me a little bit stumped, right? Like when you see a guy like Claudio Silva, you kind of salivate at the mouth to go out there and fade a gas tank like this guy. But he's fourteen and two. Like he has a legitimate record. He makes his style work, but it's just a couple of guys that are able to go out there and solve that puzzle. Last time around, it was D. James Krause that stayed away heavily from the uh, from the from the submission game and just pretty much pieced him up. Didn't get that third round prop that I sprinkled a little bit on, but it is what it is. James Krause still goes out there and get the finish. He lays out the blueprint that you need to go out there and beat a guy like Claudio Silva. Then you get the other side of the equation. You get Court McGee, who's just not on a good run up there in age at this point in time i believe he's two years younger than claudio silva but looks 50 years older than claudio silva at this point in time not to mention the fight mouse and claudio silva just hasn't been that active as, a, as of late right like before he got stopped by james cross he was on a winning streak that included a win over leon edwards who's been killing it from now uh, at this point so there's those things to, to take into consideration if claudio silva is successful in dragging this fight to the ground could he pull off a submission? Possibly. I don't think that we've seen Court McGee go up against a jujitsu player of this level in his recent uh, M- or UFC run. Um you know He's never been submitted in his uh, pro MMA career, so that's something that you have to worry about. But not to mention, again, the, I think the level of jiu-jitsu that Claudio Silva brings to the table, especially if he's able to get you down early, it's nothing like uh, McGee has, has, has ever seen in a long time. I can't even name the next guy. If you want to just quickly go over his record and see if there's a guy that you can pun- pinpoint that has similar jiu-jitsu to Claudio Silva, by all means do so, but I just don't think there has been. But then there's that cardio issue if he doesn't finish Court McGee early, especially if he's training himself a lot in that first round. Court McGee is going to just get back to his feet. Round two and round three, he's going to go out there and grind it out. I think in those two rounds, he'll have good enough takedown defense and good enough cardio to nullify any approach that Claudio Silva takes and then just goes out, go out there and just grind him out. If you were a Court McGee backer last time around against Car- Carlos Condit, you're probably just like, God damn, pulling your hair out. Not even one attempted takedown. And, you know, that's the kryptonite of Carlos uh, Condit's game. Take him down, grind him out. Supposedly, he's a wizard off of his back with jiu-jitsu. You just don't see it. He doesn't have any submissions off his back in a long freaking time. And Court McGee does a good job in terms of staying out of submissions. But Court just left his fight IQ at home for some fucking reason, goes out there and decides to stand with Carlos Condon for 15 minutes and get, gets absolutely pieced up. I do think this is a fight that favors Kurt McGee, though. I think he is good enough to stay away from the ground. I think he's good enough to kind of put his punches together, get some combinations together, grind him up against the cage, again, stay away from the from the bottom game of Claudio or even getting this fight to the ground and then just grinding him out. Is the third-round prop live? Absolutely. I do think that Kurt McGee does have some good enough... Um, cardio to go out there and possibly spur a third round victory here <clears throat> he just isn't much of a notorious finisher and that's kind of my issue with him is just like um the guy earlier that we we're talking about demiris magulov not really chasing the finish as of late court mcgee definitely doesn't ch- chase the finish as of late right like he likes to go out there and kind of just outwork his opponents outwear his opponents and just uh, get it done that way i'm just trying to quickly look up the last time that court mcgee finished a fight was ryan jensen over 11 years ago by arm triangle choke. I don't see him going out there and submitting Claudio Silva by submission either. So that's a that's a that's a worry there. But that that gas tank is a huge concern for Claudio Silva, which is why I'll never put my money on him at this point in time. I did bet him against Danny Roberts back in the day, got lucky with that phantom tap, but I will never bet call Claudio Silva once again. Uh when we start uh you know matching him up in the future, especially here against Court McGee, who's a very, very durable opponent at this point in time. So props, I got Court McGee. I got the over two and a half minus 175 um i got mcgee by decision uh plus 185 really like that spot but you know i like to get a little freaky with it cody plus 1500 for uh, mcgee to win uh to win in round three don't mind that spot how are you seeing this fight
1: yeah i can see that as well but the two spots i got his fight goes the distance minus 155 and the mcgee by decision at plus 185 so pretty much the same consensus claudio silva is tough to watch man his cardio is non-existent he's tired three minutes into the fight his wrestling is almost non-existent, he does have like a single leg and like a low ankle pick, but he's a guard puller, and he's sloppy, and just for whatever reason, he ends up on top of these guys, and he has smothering top game, like, once he's on top of you, you're not going anywhere, and that's the that's the frustrating part, is that he, he's not talented in the slightest bit, in my opinion, and yet he does find ways to win, and they're weasel victories, they're greasy victories, but, I mean, hey, you you can't you can't fault him. He's been on a pretty good run. Before he ever came to the UFC, I talk about this all the time, he fought for Super Fight League. He fought Xavier Fupakam, who's also a two-fight UFC veteran, fanned out back in the day, going 0-2. <clears throat> and it's like the greasiest decision, man. Like, he's tired, he's gassed out, he's struggling against Professor X Xavier Fupakam. It's like a very, very bad fight. So he comes to the UFC, and it's like, man, I'm going to fade this guy's ass. He's a plus-220 underdog to Brad Scott, and he wins. Then the leon edwards fight he's a plus 180 underdog to leon edwards leon super green he's definitely not the version of the guy he is today it's a split decision and again it's just claudio just topples over so now he's cashed twice in the ufc as an underdog now he gets nordine taleb he's a plus 310 underdog he catches again three straight tickets in the ufc all three of them as a sizable underdog so now he gets danny roberts it's the first time in his career he's he's a favorite and it's like okay i'm fading this guy hard here right Danny Roberts' fight is the most frustrating fight of all time Easily. because Danny Roberts can win it three or four separate times in the fight and just for whatever reason just follows him to the ground, engages <laughs> him in the grappling, also gases out. It is so sloppy, and yet when it when it just about looks like Danny Roberts is about to pull through and win this fight, he gets submitted with an arm fire. which, Danny, I don't know, but all, all the same, it. it's like he blows it. Yeah, exactly. He blows it late. Claudio Silva cashes four straight tickets in the UFC now. Worst one being minus 150. This guy is a cash cow to anybody who's backed him. And I have not backed him any step of the way. <laughs> so the Cole Williams fight, like, it is Cole Williams. So I, I, every dog has his day. Like, I guess he's supposed he got a, a layup in that one. But <clears throat> by the time James Krause came in, I, it, and by the way, it was even money. That only that got weird. me back, like, the smallest fraction of the amount I've lost on this <laughs> fucking guy. Right? because again he's a weasel he figures out a way just to fall on top of you and get on top but don't just wiki cap this one man just go watch any of his fights like my god it's sloppy and it's difficult to watch but james kraus is high ring on we know that about him he's a great coach he's a great corner man but he fights high ring on keep in mind james Krauss is a natural 155 pound fighter who took this fight with silva at 170 easily stuffed all of his takedowns pieced him up standing court mcgee won the ultimate fighter at 185 pounds his first five fights in the UFC were at 185. He's fought in very lo- good level of competition at 170, but you nailed this one yourself, man. Dude's you got 29 pro fights, okay? He's been fighting for, I want to say, is it 16 pro years? 16 years as a pro. His pro debut is 2007. So sorry, he's 14 years as a pro. When he was 5 and 0, when he sorry, when he, when he was 6 and 0, he fought Jeremy Horn who was 79 and 16. <laughs> right? And and still went the distance. Yeah. He's only ever been finished one time in 10 pro losses, and that was Santiago Ponzinibbio. No shame in that kid. Uh, he, he's, he's got great durability and against Claudio Silva, like that's the one thing with Claudio Silva is that he preys on guys that are going to get submitted in the first round. Cause if he doesn't submit them in the first round, he just massively gases out. Could I see somebody TKO him? Yes. But same thing that happened in the Krause fight, even though he's a, he's a, he's a punching bag, he's a dead man walking. When you try to go put him away, he pulls a Ronnie Yaya. He'll just sit down, you know, he'll just flop over and be like, follow me to the ground. It's like, ah, let him back up, let him back up. So he gets back up. You try to put him away and he just topples back over to the ground so he's he's good at surviving at the very least and i think he'll be able to do that against court mcgee who you know you made a good point he's not exactly on a great run right now but fighting guys he he was competitive against sean brady one might even say he might have won one of those rounds right uh the the fight prior against diego lima i mean it's a split decision loss it's not like he's non-competitive in it and the carlos condit fight yep no ring iq Why not take him down? But important to note that him and Carlos Conner were former training partners and were at one time friends. And he was on record going into that fight being like, oh, everyone always takes down Carlos. Carlos wants a fight. Yeah, we're going to have a fight. We're going to entertain the fans. It's like, dog, ain't no fans in the crowd. What are you doing? Take take (laughs) him down. Take him down. Doesn't. But he wanted to have that fun fight. So yeah, 75 G's on the line. Maybe he wants to have a fun fight too. But he's smart enough to recognize that Claudio is only dangerous for five minutes, play safe, and then after that, use that cardio to uh, to break him down. So I- I'm going to have to agree with you on most of your points. And uh, Fight Goes the Distance is a decent play enough because even if Claudio flips the script and does win, he- he's not. I don't think he's finishing court. I really don't. If Court wins, I think Court's also winning decision. So that one hits both sides. But then the straight-up pick is going to be Court McGee. And for plus 185 as a... As a- as a by decision prop. I mean, I think that's pretty solid enough. So it's a spot. I don't mind that's for sure.
0: In the last four years court McGee is one and five, not that nice, but let's get him, get him some slack considering some of those losses were to guys like Sean Brady and Sean Strickland. Not, not, not too mad at that. I do want to quickly ask you though. Just quickly skimming Court McGee's record, is there anybody that you would put at Claudio Silva's level in terms of jujitsu? Like the only guy that kind of popped out to me was Ben Saunders, but like definitely not the Claudio Silva level. Like he's good at jujitsu, but definitely not a Claudio Silva. There's no other guy that really pops out to me that that presented any jujitsu threat to. Uh, Corey McGee the way that Claudio Silva could potentially do if he gets him to the ground.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just a different style of jiu-jitsu for sure. Like, Sean Brady is a black belt, and he floats out there, but he doesn't have those those heavy hips. You know, Alex Garcia's got power jiu-jitsu. He just ru- rucks these guys to the ground, takes their back, and just, you know, neck cranks them, so to speak. But it's definitely a different style of jiu-jitsu. Uh, you mentioned Benson Son- or Ben Saunders, but Ben Saunders likes to go to mission control, you know, yeah. fish arm bars and triangles. like, it's a different level of jiu-jitsu. But with Corey McGee, I mean, again... Uh, the, the, this guy's just he's been in there with with high level competition whether they're grapplers or whether they're knockout guys it's like he always finds a way to just keep relevant and again you go look back at the sean brady fight where he's a sizable underdog you look back at a lot of these spots where he's not expected to do much and he goes and he competes he, he keeps them close it's hard to kill this guy i mean methamphetamine wasn't able to do it and King came close, King close, King close i was just waiting good. i was waiting for that one <laughs> every time <laughs> uh But so yeah, man. It's like as soon as he came back from that, awoke from the dead. Like his cardio was on another level. And when yeah. you see on the Ultimate Fighter, honestly, to me, it's like he loses on the Ultimate Fighter in the first round of the show. He's like the lowest seated guy on on the season, and he loses to uh to Nick Ring. Nick right? Ring, yeah. Yeah, so it's Canada's like hey, yeah, he fans out, and then all of a sudden it's like hey, do you want to come in? As there's a wild card spot, we need somebody who's been eliminated. He comes in. and well, would you know he chokes out James Hammertree and then he chokes out Brad Tavares and then he's in the final and he chokes out Chris McCrae and he wins the season. He got bounced, he lost. He comes back to win the entire season. That's just like a testament to his character, man. Like he just, he's always grinding, he's always you you again you got it you really got to knock this guy to put him away and i know that he's one in five and it's a bad skid and he's getting outpointed, and he's losing these decisions and he's not quite as as fast as he used to be claudio silva just doesn't pose the same problems yeah, that all those other sure. guys have if this stays a kickboxing match it's court mcgee all day if this ends up being a wrestling match court really needs to keep moving he needs to keep getting back up i am worried if he gets taken down he's not going to get back up claudio's going to blanket him but if that's the, happens in the first round, that's fine. We've got two more to work with. This man will get tired. He's yeah. 38. It's not getting any better. Court will have his chance. Court, meanwhile, has great gas tank. He really does. So he needs to utilize that. Push the pace in the first. Secure the second and the third round. Give me this decision victory.
0: I'm right there with your brother. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Big Ben Rothwell, a.k.a. Clint's dad, coming in against uh, Mr. Chris Barnett, uh, a, a pretty much an MMA Mainstay if you've if you're more than just a UFC fan or and a fan of MMA you've heard of Chris Barnett before you've seen his funny dancing videos and when he's knocking dudes out it goes out there and just put, makes a fool of himself but he's entertaining Let, let's put it let's give him uh, give him that Huggie. for sure the huggy bear exactly 21 and 6 record uh you know been hovering on the regional scene for a while now um but he's 34 years old right you don't often see UFC bring in these types of fighters uh, that are like middling on the regional scene um especially up there at 34 years old but this is the COVID area he only needs you know while well, he is on a three-fight winning streak at this point in time but against you know super questionable competition if i'm not mistaken his last fight was against uh ollie thompson's training partner who stepped in on super short notice the guy was oh 0, 0 was big enough to make the super heavyweight limit uh and then uh took that fight and got pounded out within 50 seconds or 60 seconds in that fight but he's fought like a ton of different guys on the regional and that you guys probably know of. Obviously, Alex Nicholson being one of the big ones there. Ollie Thompson, he fought earlier into his career. Travis Wolf, another regional or even Bellator uh, veteran. Uh, Walt Harris, he fought way back in the day. Ten years ago, he beat him. Um, Eric Prindle, another solid Bellator heavyweight from back in the day. So the guy's made his rounds. He's paid his dues. I'm happy for him. Uh, unlike Tony Lopez, this is one guy that's finally made it over to the UFC. Um he could be live here against Big Ben Rothwell. I'm not trusting Rothwell anywhere over at minus 300. I mean, especially this level of Ben Rothwell that we, we've we been seeing of late, as of late. Not the most... Um, uh, assertive, not the most, uh, you know, uh, aggressive in terms of going out there, getting finishes and getting his, uh, getting those Ws. But in terms of what he brings to the table, it's really slowed down. Obviously, he has that split decision win over OSP two fights ago, and then you know, getting pieced up by Stefan Struve in that fight before he starts. Piecing Stefan Struve's piece up and then eventually finishing him uh, by... I was waiting to sling that one on you. Glad I got you. (laughs) (laughs) Then he finishes him with three seconds left in that round two. That was coming from a guy that had money on Big Ben Rothwell that night because I always wanted to go out there and fade Stefan Struve. And I was not liking what I was seeing for those first like eight or so minutes because Stefan Struve was absolutely pummeling him, landing good strikes on distance. And that's weird. When you're getting outstruck by Stefan Struve at distance, there is something wrong. And that was, that's exactly what was wrong with Ben Rothwell in that fight. Um, again, OSP fight, not very active, uh, not not really highly active, not much action in that fight. He was still able to spring out the, the win there. And then the Marchin Taibura fight, that's where you see his takedown defense start to diminish. That's where you see his uh, assertiveness in his fight start to diminish. He doesn't really bring it anymore. Uh, in, in heavyweight, obviously, you can get away with being a guy that's 39 years old, going to be 40 in October. But like this is such a diminished version of Ben Rothwell that we've been seeing over the last couple of years that I don't even want to stick him into my lottery parlays or anything like that. Like, sure, it's nice to get a nice boost from a minus three hundred. But with with the level that you're backing at a minus 300, I'm not sure if it's truly worth the squeeze here. So I will pick Ben Rothwell to win this fight. I do think he has Barnett pretty much covered everywhere here. Uh, but I see this fight being slow and dragged out, to be honest. I think the spots that people might want to look at hitting and something that's been hitting more often than not for Ben Rothwell uh, as of late is the overs, right? You got over... to. Uh, two and a half at plus 145. I think that that's something that could absolutely hit here. It just depends on what Chris Barnett brings to the table. Does he want to go out there and be that flashy, entertaining guy that people know and love of him from the, the regional scene? Re- just like what Michelle Pereira was, right? Michelle Pereira was that fancy, freaking flying, jumping, spinning guy on the regional scene. And he felt like he needed to deliver in his UFC debut, which he did against Danny Roberts. But I just don't see that Cinderella-ish story playing out for Chris Barnett here against a very durable uh, Big Ben Rothwell. And that's something that he can always lean on. He will be tough to put away. He will be tough to, to finish or submit or something like that. So I do like Rothwell here, um, but not by a lot, not by minus 300 standards. So I'll pick Ben Rothwell. I'll actually pick him by decision here as long as Chris Barnett's cardio doesn't completely fall off a cliff. And not to mention, Chris Barnett is a guy that's coming off uh, a super heavyweight fight, weighed at 300 pounds back in September. And obviously, it's been a long time since then. And I hope he's been kind of gradually getting his weight down. Not saying he's going to come out there looking like Alistair Overeem or anything like that, but I do think that he he will be in relatively better shape. And hopefully, that's enough for him to go out there and deal with the slow-paced style of Ben Rothwell, uh, who doesn't really put out too much output himself. So in terms of a prop, I'm gonna go rothwell um by decision. Rothwell by decision is currently sitting at uh, plus two seventy not too bad. I, I saw somebody throw it out in the um in the in the chat. Uh, rothwell by submission around plus seven hundred cheeky poke there i don't mind it i could absolutely see that happening uh but i think i'm gonna go with the reserved version of rothwell that we w- should see and him to win a decision here so i'm going rothwell by decision how are you see this one
1: yeah i mean listen he submitted josh barnett with a 10-figure guillotine so if you're gonna submit josh barnett you could submit any man on this planet however it was five years ago he was on yeah. steroids and it, listen this version to barnett chris barnett he don't have a neck dude don't have a neck how are you gonna yeah. choke what you can't grab um, listen. At one point, he actually was legitimate. I actually remember his U- or his MMA debut against Jonathan Ivy back in the day. You got a guy 0-0 taking on a 60-71 fight veteran at the time. Like, what the hell is going on here? But he was a yeah. freak show fighter even back then. And he does the backflip. And he actually comes from a Taekwondo base. And he's five foot eight, five foot nine. He's the shortest heavyweight in modern history for the UFC. Um, but he, he, he should, he has the frame of a middleweight. So because of this Taekwondo base, he is athletic and he can do spinning stuff and he does have a a decent kick arsenal and he can do this backflip, but he's just let himself go. But you nailed it, dude. I mean, he beat Kenny Gardner, who's the former M1 heavyweight champ. He beats, um, Mario Rinaldi, who was one of the original eight American top team heavyweights who was very legit back in the day. And he beats Wal Harris, who's again, another American top team heavyweight at this point. He's kicking ass. Now, do you have your topology open really quick? Yes, sir. Okay, so he beats Wal Harris, and for that fight, it was 265 pounds. So then he gets his Bobby Brents, right? So then you click there, it's like, oh, Barnett, he hurt his foot. Okay, this is 2011, right? So now, a year later, after Wal Harris, he hurts his foot. Now we get Tom Sawyer for Bellator, only the fight never comes. Bellator never keeps him under contract. Then we got Michael Keita in Poland, and Barnett, no-shows. He, <laughs> he doesn't even fucking show up to the event. Now he gets a fight in Canada against Smila Rama, only he... It hurts his eye. And then he gets a fight with Richard White and drumroll, please. Wow. <laughs> yeah, he no-shows again. So now when he fights DeMario Dennis, okay? This is in 2014. This is three years after his last fight. He comes in, he weighs in 316 pounds. The next Jeez. fight with Richard White, 317. The next one with Travis View, 340. The one Ooh. with John Hill, 329. Now, there's a great interview with Alistair Overeem from a couple years back. And he's like, man, I'm training with this guy in the gym. And I'm like what do you, what do you weigh? Like, he's very, he's difficult to get off of me. Like, he just feels like he weighs a lot. I said, what do you weigh? The guy says 280, but says it with a chuckle. Overeem says, no way. And I get my manager to go get the scale. And we force him to get on it. He's 330. <clears throat> it was Barnett. That's who it was, right? He's trained down with Henry Hoof. He's trained with the Black Zillions. He runs his own Taekwondo Academy currently in Georgia. So like, I don't know at what level he's training, but like, he's a big boy. So now factor in, he hasn't fought in months. Okay. He hasn't fought since September. Uh, that fight was at 300 pounds, and he's only had like one MMA fight in the last two years. He fought a little kickboxing, did no good. He fought a little boxing. I believe he's one in six as a pro boxer. It ain't going good, man. He's 34, and he fights three weight classes too high. It's not just not going good. Now they need a guy to short notice. This guy's exciting. He's funny. He's Huggy Bear. He's got a good character. You bring him in. I gotta see those weigh-ins, dog. I don't yeah. think he's making 265. I, my personal opinion, really. I, I don't think he's making it. So, so we'll see tomorrow. But he's a big boy. Even if he does make the weight, his cardio hasn't been looking good in recent years. And there was a time where he was a lot more durable. But go back and watch that island fights with uh, Alex Nicholson. He basically just toppled over by the first punch that lands. And Nicholson's really a, a natural middleweight himself. he's Yeah. On the gas, right? He's a little uh, inflated, but um, <laughs> but but again, I mean, at, there there are levels, and Huggy Bear is just the entertaining's over, man. He's been fighting for ten years now, and at thirty-four years old, it's finally caught up to him. Now Rothwell's thirty-nine. Rothwell's athleticism shot right out the window. He's slow. He's plodding, and I think Barnett will probably be competitive with him for the first three, four, maybe even five minutes. But the fight, taking the fun of short notice, the th- cutting thirty-five pounds on a week's notice. It's all going to play bad for his cardio, and I think eventually Rothwell does grind him down. Rothwell does get the job done. So again, on as far as the straight-up prop goes, I want to chase that Rothwell by TKO, but he's just so slow. It takes his yeah. time, right? Even the Stefan Struve fight... They're like he knocks him out, and he's like, "Oh, I I should start fighting like I'm down a point all the time." Like, yes, you should. (laughs) You totally should, man. Just like go. He's one of the most durable guys you'll ever see. Is Ben Rothwell. I mean, short of Cain Velasquez TKOing him, he's gotten out there with some heavy hitters, and he has got one hell of a chin on him. So you can't discredit him on that. It's that go out, you know, put pressure on him, let him hit you, as long as you hit him back, but, like, you know, give it one for one, you know, land a punch to give a punch, but you gotta give that punch, his last fight with Tabura, he had decent volume in that fight, but you can just see, like, his best days are clearly behind him, and I don't know, Like I don't want to get all in, but the spot that I like the most, instead of chasing that TKO, and maybe it's that submission like you guys said, talked about 7-1 and this and that, the, the, the spot that I just ended up landing on was the, uh, the over 1.5 at minus 140. I think Barnett's going to be fast in the first round, he's the natural middleweight, even though he's a 340 pound man, he does move ex- exceptionally well, and Rothwell's a guy that moves forward, he doesn't cut angles, he almost just chases you around. I do see him chasing Barnett, Barnett maybe landing a few kicks, keeping his distance for the most part, maybe they clinch up a little bit, they're both big boys, they might be up against the cage, in the second round, Rothwell is going to start to, you know, pour it on a little bit, Barnett will get tired, and Rothwell will eventually take him out, I do believe he gets this thing done inside the distance, I do believe it's under two and a half, but for some reason, I think this gets a round and a half in it before it really gets going, so I'm going to be a quick finish, it's going to be like, grind this guy down, slow him down, tire him out, and then put him away, so I decided to go with the, the over one and a half at minus 140.
0: Yeah, I wish that was one that was kind of widely available. Minus 140 over 1.5 I think is a great, great spot considering the style of both of these guys. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. And this was a fight that was scheduled to go down. uh, A couple weeks ago, we got Bill Alger going going up against Ricardo Hamosh. They were scheduled for April 17th. Uh, Hamosh has to pull up due to... COVID-19 protocols. They wait about a month. They reschedule it. And I still feel the same way about it that I did last time. And I think we were both on opposite sides here. But I'm still going to stand firm on my Ricardo Hamo side. I do think he is uh, the better fighter overall here. Um, I think people are just kind of writing him off. It wasn't that long ago that this guy was like minus 200, minus 300 over some of these guys. But I know, obviously, they're far, like Eduardo Gargory and Journey Newsom is a far cry from what we're going to be getting from Bill Algio here. But I still do think that Hamush has a bright future. Uh, Being the favorite, even going into that fight against Saeed Nurmagomedov, and even though he lost that fight, that just shows you how highly touted that they actually had this guy. And I feel like Bill Algio falls into the realm of a fighter that he can go out there and beat. I think his Muay Thai is great outside of those weird, like, behind-his-leg fucking shin kicks that he likes to throw uh, against... uh, The guy that he fought last time around, uh, the the name is escaping me at the moment. But who taught him that? (laughs) Yeah, well, like, how is that even effective? Like, you're literally just touching the guy. I don't even know if you can count it as a strike, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, it was Leroy Murphy that he went out there and eventually got knocked out on that first round. Played a little bit too much in that guard, right? Like, I think he was, he thought he was a lot safer than he was, but Leroy Murphy packs a fucking punch and was able to really uh dead him on the ground there and then finish him via ground and pound. It's a good win from Merlo- laurel murphy but i'm not ready to count out jacardo the guy is still young right he's only 25 years old i think he has a ton of talent so i think he can go out there and beat a guy like bill algeo bill algeo coming off a very successful win over is spike carlisle but we all know what you really need to do with spike get out of that first round and then you should go out there and be able to cruise and especially with the style that bill algeo has which is like kind of on his bicycle, playing the distance, hands down to, you know, uh nullify any takedown attempts from his opponents and then, you know, let his striking go with that unorthodox style that he has. That was a great type of a approach to take against a guy like Spike Carlisle. I was one of the guys that thought Spike was going to be able to go out there and, and knock this guy out given his low hand striking defense type of style. But I'll eat my words on that one. Good win for Bilaljo, though. But I still don't think he beats a guy like Hercado Hamush here. I know a lot of people are heavy and think very highly of Bilaljo. I'm just not one of those guys, and I'm not entirely sure why. But I do think that the way that these guys match up, I still do favor Hercado Hamush. The line is slowly starting to move. Bilaljo's way. We got minus 120 on him now. It was uh, around to pick him, especially when they were first about to fight but I, I like the slate plus money on the here. Again, I think he's a much more complete fighter, the much more technical fighter. And as long as his durability holds up, as long as he doesn't go out there and get knocked the fuck out by Bill Algio, I think he should be able to make a good account of himself over 15 minutes. He might slow down a little bit the later that this fight goes. And that is a bit of a concern as I do think that Bill Algio will probably have the better cardio. Um, but as long as Hamosh could lock up those first two rounds, I think he should be able to go out there and get uh, a decision victory. So in terms of props, um, Over 2.5, minus 200, not too bad. Uh, And then Hamosh by decision, plus 245, plus 246. I like that spot as well. So I'm going Hamosh spill the beans because I'm pretty sure that you're on Bill Algeo here remind us as to why
1: <laughs> yeah I like Bill Algeo I, I like him he's just one of these guys that's got a lot of lot of pressure a lot of output and he's got skills everywhere realistically I mean if you look at what Bill Algeo brings to the table it's like he's a BJJ black belt runs his own gym in, in New Jersey decent wrestling decent takedown defense when he does get taken down he always pops right, right back up makes you work and I mean he's just got great output his striking is, is, is solid he's just gonna keep swarming you and overwhelming opponents when you look at His regional scene career. Man, this guy fought all the best guys as far as like a regional show career that you could have. His losses are to the likes of. Shane Burgos and Jared Gordon, he beat Tufts' Jeff Lentz, he beat Tim Dooling, he fought Scott Heckman and John DeJesus, he fights Brendan Lucane on the Ultimate fu- uh, sorry, on Contender Series, like, he's fighting good guys and he's getting better every time, but uh, let's just start from the Contender Series fight with Brendan Lucane, right, I think that's a, a version of Bill Algeo supposed to lose, we know who Lucane is, uh, Algeo, eh, I've seen him fight on the regional scene a little bit, he's okay, but nothing that was outstanding to me, that's a great fight, man, that is a UFC level fight, he gives up three takedowns. He's always getting back up. He's always working. He outlanded Lucane 147 to 112 in that fight. Now we've seen Lucane go to PFL. He's looking solid. He's actually, you know, unbeaten since that fight, looking good. I think it was a really good showing for Algeo. Doesn't get the contract. The UFC doesn't want better. Why don't you come to the UFC, take a short notice debut against Ricardo Lamas? Like Ricardo Lamas fought Aldo for the title. He's got a lot of experience in the division. He wrestled collegiately. He's also a BJJ black belt. And he's also like a capoeira black belt. You know, guy hit Cub Swanson with a spinning wheel kick back in the day. Like, very, very sharp, good everywhere. Lots of experience. Tough fight for Algeo. Algeo gave a great account of himself. Again, he does get taken down five times by Lamas, But he's always working his way back up. Defensively, his grappling is very sound, right? He wins the second round against um, Ricardo Lamas, And it's, it's, it's a 1-1 fight going into the third. Loses the third. But still, there's a great learning experience, a great gut check performance. And this is your debut as a five-to-one underdog. So now he gets spiked Carlisle. I- I'm on, I- I'm on board, man. I like this guy. So I back up against Carlisle to do the exact same thing that Billy Q did. Maybe you get taken down, sure. But work, work, work the entire time. And that's what Billy does. Bill Algeo goes out there. He does get taken down by Spike Carlyle. He's always making him work. He's always defending. He's always getting back up to his feet. And then he puts the pressure on him. Despite the fact that he got taken down four times and largely had to deal with an in-clinch fight with Spike Carlisle. he still easily outstrikes him 70-23 to in route to a decision victory. I like what I see out of the guy. I really do. So now when you look at it, it's like through those three fights, he's got a... Strikes per minute. I hate looking at fights strictly based on the stats, but it was interesting that strikes per minute. He's at a 6.8 strikes per minute, and he's good for a 56% overall accuracy. When I look at Ricardo Ramos, it's like, oh, he's 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 got some wrestling. Is it better than Bill Algea's? No, it's comparable. He's got the BJJ black belt. Is he a better grappler than Bill Algea? I, I honestly don't think so. It his comes down to the striking. He's half of that. His strikes per minute's at three. You know, versus 6.8 for Bill Algeo. His striking accuracy is 39%. It's low. The Zahabi fight. It goes into the third round, and it's predominantly a striking battle. He lands 42. The fight with Tanaka, it went 15 minutes. He lands 45. Hyo Hyo Kang. Sorry, uh, Kyu Ho Kang, 54. The Journey-Newson fight was the most telling to me, is that he, now he's l- using his grappling in this fight. He's looking to get Journey-Newson to the ground, but again, it's low output. It's 40 significant strikes. Right? Then he gets Lerone Murphy. Now, Lerone Murphy uh, is very solid, but just, you know, a name that's flying under the radar and, you know, is known as a striker, but is, is not, doesn't have any real skill that jumps off the map and people are high on Ramos, and that's where he comes in fighting those, those stupid little, the stupid little leg kicks, naked leg kicks, doesn't set up anything and gets trucked by Lerone Murphy and gets knocked out in the first round. And that fight was like over a year ago. So like... What am I excited about getting behind Ramos for? He's got low output. I think his grappling will get negated by Algeo. He's coming off a a nasty knockout loss. There's just not a whole lot that I love there. So, yeah, I, I got I got Bill. The fight's near even money, so it's as far as a money line pick goes, I mean, you can't go wrong either side, but the Algeo, by decision, plus 170. Yeah, I like that. I just think he beats him to the punch. He has more volume. He lands two to three strikes for every one that Ramos lands. <clears throat> he keeps the fight standing. His, his takedown defense is good enough to do so, and if he does get taken down, he's going to scramble and get back up. If this thing comes down to cardio, Bill Algeo don't slow down, and Ricardo Ramos most definitely slows down. So, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry, I'm on the other side. I'm definitely on the other side. I got to go with with Bill Algeo, and and I'm going to chase that a little bit for uh, the prop side of things with the plus 170 by decision.
0: Oh, trust me. I've heard all the Bill Algeo takes the last time they're scheduled to fight. I'm expecting to hear the same thing this week as well once I go through all my rounds for my stream. So I absolutely understand your approach here too. All right. That makes us uh, or brings us to the main card here now. Uh, Do remind you guys, as always, please do hit that like, hit that subscribe as always. And do go out there and support CJ's or CJ MMA's uh, uh, YouTube channel as well. The link is in the description below. Cody's going to go out there and be putting some content up for you guys. Not to mention the Bellator 259 breakdown. He already has posted for you guys, so make sure you guys go check that out. Link is in the description below. Uh, 7 p.m. Eastern main card start time. So a special start time this week. Don't get caught napping with an 8 p.m. or a 10 p.m. main card start time because we are going to be uh, starting things nice and early. I believe the early prelims actually kick off at 4 p.m. Eastern. I love that. Uh, before we actually get into this next fight, do you prefer like the early ones? I-, I like it. Like I remember when they used to go to Singapore and and Korea and used to do those early morning John Hathaway versus dong young kim in the fucking morning or uh uh, frankie edgar versus uriah Faber, nice and early in the morning do you prefer that or do you like the 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 later cards
1: yeah it just depends what you got to do like when i was younger yeah absolutely like that's what i loved. i love like a noon start time because you wake up i have like anxiety sometimes on fight day not because like i'm worried about anything but just because like i'm anxious i want i want to watch fights you spend all week talking about it you get yourself so amped up that it's not like Oh my god! I can't wait! I can't wait! It's like, oh man, there's nine more hours. Like, that's what passion. am I going to do for the next nine hours?
0: Yeah,
1: Th- that's the kind of anxiety that it is. So when it starts at twelve, it's like perfect. But now that I've got uh, two horses that I'm doing, and I'm and you know I'm kind of doing the whole horse racing thing, it's like I get up at six in the morning and I go to the barn until noon. So now if the card starts at eight, nine, 10, 11 in the morning, it's like I, I gotta miss the first couple fights before I can get back from the farm. And then start watching it. But yeah, I I like earlier fights. Um, Yeah, back in high school, back in college, you wanted to party till 2 in the morning. You wanted the main event to go off at 1 a.m. You get all liquored up for it. But like, yeah, now it's like, I got shit I got to do the next day. Uh, I prefer to go to finish the fights at 10 or 11. In the case of doing recaps, you know, I'd I'd like to ideally watch the fights, watch the main event, and do a recap right away. The problem is is that the main event ends at 1 o'clock in the morning. It's like, what am I supposed to do? I'm going to sit there for an hour, recap the event. Now it's two o'clock in the morning. Now I got to upload this thing and tag it and, you know, make it live. And then, and then how many people in the Eastern time zone or are up at two 30 in the morning being like six, you just got to recap. It. That was, <laughs> no, Nobody, nobody.
0: Right? Zero. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Whereas it finished yeah. at like nine o'clock, you know, you got a couple of late, <clears throat> you know, late hours, night hours, uh, might watch it or, you know, whatever the case may be different time zones, but yeah personally i do like the earlier start time events um but again like it all depends if you've got something to do on that day right
0: i absolutely agree with you dude it's just like uh, the, the anxiety of seeing these puzzles solve themselves especially the puzzles that we've been talking about all fucking week let's just see how these fights go And quit making me wait seven, eight, nine hours after I fucking wake up. Let's just get it done with ASAP. I like the UFC on ABC ones. They've done two of them so far this year where they have like a noon start time. Completely down with that. I'm completely down with that. Shout out to my guy Daniel here saying European fans, even us the eye emoji. I get it. (laughs) You guys, European fans are fucked. I wouldn't want to have it that bad.
1: And those European fans, that's how you know that they're real fans. Oh, for sure. That when when I would when I would talk to people they'd be like I'm an MMA fan they'd be like oh cool dude you watch it in like UFC Japan this weekend they'd be like what time does it start I'd be like two in the morning two in the morning and they wouldn't I don't know this guy's a real fan exactly. the UK fans they, they every events like that man so yeah you've you've got to be a a real diehard fight fan because there's nothing worse than when it's like tape delay like Bellator oh do yeah that? Oh. bastards. They'd be like, the event's on at two, but we're not gonna show you results until you watch it on Spike tonight at nine. <laughs> You'd be like, come on, dude. I got Twitter, you know, I already know who won. My 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 book already paid out the bets. Like <laughs> And then you don't want to watch it at night. Not that you're of not course. a fight fan. I I, yeah. I wanna watch the fights, but yeah, when you know who won, um, it definitely does take a little bit off of it. Unless unless I sent you a video, I'm like you'll never see this submission again, then yeah, you're going to watch it. But yeah, I mean, even when you rewatch fights that you're like, oh, this fight was legendary. This fight was so good. Sometimes it's not as good the second time you watch it back. Exactly. Because it's like, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. That's
0: why I hate spoilers. Like I'll completely yeah. shut down my social media, blackout mode and everything. And then just once I watch the fights, then I'll hop back on because I, I just want to watch the fight. I don't care if it's a boring 15 minute decision. I still want to see how it plays out. All right, let's move on to the main card here. Like I said, we we're starting up. Jack Hermanson versus Edmund Shibazi. and This fight was supposed to t- take place last week. I believe uh, somebody on Jack Hermanson's team got the COVID, and they actually uh, pushed push this fight back one week. It's still a very intriguing matchup. When it was initially scheduled, I was just like, man, Edmund, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Like, whoever's managing him, a horrible matchup for him to come back to, especially after his first loss. Uh, You know, the way that he lost as well to Derek Brunson, absolutely gassing out, and then getting pummeled at the end of the second Thank God for Herb Dean for allowing that fight to go to the third round, so I can catch my third round prop. But <laughs> Derek Brunson quickly goes out there Thanks, and finishes him. Yeah, I love you, Herb. Um, is he dead yet? <laughs> I love that fucking meme. <laughs> but uh, uh, I-, I think people are just going out there and absolutely writing off Edmund Shabazi now, right? Like that. It's so weird. Like going into that Derek Brunson fight, like oh, you know, this guy's the greatest. You know, he's one of the best. He's going to come out there and-, and knock this guy out. He's short up his cardio issues that we saw on the saw in the Darren Stewart fight. I'm like, no. He hasn't. How? Wh- where's your evidence regarding that? We haven't seen him go three rounds since that Darren Stewart fight. And then you see it happen in the Derek Brunson fight where he gets absolutely starched. With that said, I still think the kid is very skilled, right? He has great hands. He has great power, decent speed, good footwork. And I think, and I'm not sure why I feel this way, I feel like he has the advantage over Jack Romanson the earlier this fight is, right? Like in terms of the striking room, I feel like Jack isn't the most comfortable on the feet. You know, throws his weird teeps and weird kicks and an awkward striking style that he has. But we all know Jack Romanson's style. He wants to drag this fight to the ground, grind you out, find a submission, get some ground and power, whatever the fuck it is. Or if you're a Calvin Gasum, drop for your fucking heel hook and, and take it home with you. But I think he's going to struggle with Edmund early here. And I think that Edmund's power, his pace, or not his pace, but at least his pressure of staying in there, throwing big combinations, throwing big strikes, is going to fuck with Jack. And I think he can actually land on Jack's chin and put him out. And I actually favor Edmund Shabazi in here, which is weird to see, especially if you pair it up against the Derek Brunson fight. You're like, okay, then why didn't you take him in the Derek Brunson fight if you think he can go out there and knock out Jack or Manson? I felt that... Uh, Derek Brunson was going to be slightly more successful in terms of finding the safe route or or the safe zone, which is clinching up with him, dragging him to the ground, whatever he needed to do. Whereas Jack, I feel like he's a little bit more deer in the headlights on the feet when he's fighting somebody that has some pop, like proper power, just as we saw in the uh, Jared Cannonier fight where he got put out early in that fight. Edmund Shabazi still has some great power. I think he has much better technique than Jared Cannonier, and I think he has better speed than Jared Cannonier too, which will eventually catch up to uh, Jack Hermanson here and possibly find that chin, put him out, and ground and pound whatever the fuck he needs to do. But I got Edmund early here. I got Edmund here. I like him in this spot. I think he knocks out Jack Romanson. I think Jack's streak of just riding that, that Jack Ray short notice win is going to come to an end. Like that's something he's been riding for the last little while. The David Branch win, all that type of stuff. But now it's going to start crum, crashing down uh, against guys that are much better than him. And I think that Edmund fits that mold. As long as this fight doesn't reach the over one and a half or a third round, I think Shabazzian's in the clear to go out there and, and get the knockout. So I like Shabazzian knockout plus two ninety. Shabazi Shabazzian round one. If you want to go out there and be that crazy, Plus 450, I think that's a solid spot, too. But, uh, yeah, I'm not writing off Edmund Shabazian, And this is somebody, you know, that bet Derek Brunson the last time around. Am I giving too much credence to uh, Shabazzian here? Do you think Jack Hermanson rolls? How do you feel about this matchup?
1: Yeah, I, w- I w- could be talked into Shabazzian if it was a better line, but it's not. I mean, the line almost feels too good to be true on Jack Hermanson. There's just not enough plus money there on Shabazzian. I actually agree with you 100%. I think that Shabazzian is potentially being overlooked a little bit, but the kid's got a lot of power, man. Let's not forget how many first round finishes he has. And with Jack Hermanson at 32 years old, uh, I-, I don't want to say that he's you know, got durability issues. I mean, realistically, who are the two guys that have knocked him out exactly? It's like, oh, Jerry Cannonier, All right, right, Cannoneer. Used to fight a heavyweight, you know. Yeah. Used to fight a light heavyweight. Probably one of the biggest murderous power punchers at 185 pounds, very heavy set dude. And the other loss is Tiago Santos. <laughs> Former 205-er. Fought John Jones for 25 minutes. Um, one of the heaviest power punchers at middleweight you've ever seen. Those guys have been able to knock him out. But outside of that, I mean, he's he's held up for the most part what he needs to get is his wrestling going and and that that's the key here i'm not sure why shabazzian did take this fight as you mentioned i don't know if it was his management i don't know if it was him i don't know if it was the ufc's idea but realistically here there there's no rush on this kid he's 23 years old he's got another 10 years at a in this sport at the highest level there's no need to be matching him up against these top 10 top 15 guys right off the hop his entire career right first career fight took 43 seconds then 316 258 108, 30 seconds, 40 seconds, all first round knockouts, all very fast. Goes in the contender series, first round knockout looks good. But the Darren Stewart fight is—it's the first time he gets out of the first round, and he gasses, he gasses bad. He officially came in in the Darren Stewart fight. Uh, I guess he was only a minus 130 favorite. That's interesting. Anyways, he comes in as the favorite, gasses out, doesn't give a very good account of himself gets the victory, but then he goes back to the quick knockouts. Charles Byrd, first round knockout. Jack Marshman, first round knockout. Brad Tavares, first round knockout. No doubt he's got power. No doubt he's got finishing ability, but we're quickly forgetting what happens if he goes on past one round. Well, we've only seen it once. Terry Stewart fight, got gassed out. So I'll admit, I'm one of the fools that backed him in Derek Brunson in that Brunson's chinny, man. I know he's on a great run right now, but like, you hit Brunson good, man. He's toppling over. Kevin Holland was actually close in that second round. Uh, I, I really thought that Shabazz would be able to catch him. Not only that, Shabazz has been grappling his whole life. His, his jiu-jitsu is really not that bad. He's been wrestling. I think he wrestled a little in high school. He had nothing for Brunson. And beyond the takedown defense now clearly being an issue in the Brunson fight, it was the cardio. After the first round, he completely gasses out. Now he's only 23 years old. 23-year-old kids are known for cardio. They're known for being able to fight rounds. They're not getting gassed out a minute into a fight, but he's had so many quick finishes. And you got Edmund Tverdian coaching the guy you know, calling him for head movement. Like, (laughs) I I just, I I don't know. It was a real letdown performance from Brunson. And not only when he gasses out, his body just shuts down and he just, his skill just rapidly, his skill set just rapidly falls off after that. And of course, Derek Brunson goes out there, 10 eights him in the second round, and then puts him away in the third. Seeing Brunson versus Kevin Holland and how much he was not able to do anything on the ground with Kevin Holland, other than he, he could take him down, but he couldn't pass. He tried an arm triangle at one point, but like, He couldn't pass. He got no ground and pound off, right? Kevin Holland fought back the entire time. Shebaezy didn't. He just let it happen. And so now they've booked him, you know, a year later against Jack Hermanson. Like, Jack Hermanson just went five rounds versus Marvin Vittori. He took him down twice. He took Ray down three times and out-grappled him. He submitted Dave Branch, who's a high-level black belt. He submitted Jeremy Rashard, who's a pretty decent level black belt. He submitted a bunch of guys that were that were good grapplers. Kelvin Gaslam is a good grappler. He heel-hooks him in the first round. He's got the grappling edge. He's got the wrestling edge. He's got the cardio edge. He might get knocked out. I, I will give striking advantage to Shabazian. I will give that if Shabazian catches him clean, he could topple him over. But, I mean, it's 2021, right? We know striker, striker versus grappler. Grappler, you know, more times than not, comes out on the other side of it. And He's, he's 23, man. He's so young. I'm very surprised that the UFC would throw him back into a spot like this. And I'm not saying he can't win. I'm saying I, I just, I, for, for that price, I can't be talked into it. So I got to go with uh, Jack Hermanson to get the job done. And, again, when I'm looking at props <clears throat> prop side of things, he showed some heart getting smashed by Brunson and sticking into it. And to this point, he has not been submitted. So Hermansen is not big on ground and pound or, or, or TKOs. So if Hermanson is to win the fight, but doesn't TKO, him, does Hermanson submit him? Maybe, but maybe not. So what if Jack just uses the wrestling, takes him down like Brunson, has the better cardio, outlasts him, and was to win a decision. Well, Jack Manson, by decision, was plus 365, which I thought was a pretty big price tag, but I think it's indicative in that Shabazian is a one-round fighter. He's probably not going 15 minutes against most guys, and Jack Romanson, good grappler. Again, if you've got a tired guy in front of him, he might be able to put him away. So the line maker probably doesn't think this thing goes the distance. They certainly don't think Jack's going to win a dis- decision, which is why they're giving you plus 365, but I could see crazier things. Flip side to that, your argument with Shabazian. If you're going to take Shabazian, you go with the Shabazian by TKO prop. Again, not the craziest thing I've ever heard, but I am mean, going to have to disagree on this one and uh, and go the other side.
0: It's funny that we got her man snap, uh round three plus nine fifty. So, there's out there if you guys want to chase that prop once again. Uh, I completely understand your side here too, and I'm surprised as to you know after running the tape why I still end up on the Edmund Shabazzian side, especially again fading him last time against Eric Brunson. Jack Madsen seems a good good spot to fade him once again, but it is what it is. I, I can't I can't explain it. Regardless, I'll be on the Edmund Shabazzian side here. All right. Next fight, we got David Dvorak versus Holly and Paiva. Now, the not the biggest name value, but one fight that I'm very excited for because I do have a very high ceiling for Holly and Paiva, who ends up actually being the dog here. And uh I do lean on the Paiva side. I do think he has a dark horse in this 125 pound division. I do think he has a lot of good skill sets that he brings to the table in terms of you know good striking, decent distance management. Um, his frame as well. He's a big dude for the for that weight class. Uh, very lanky, scrawny, but uses it very well. And I feel bad for. For his two losses that he's had in the UFC already, right? The Car France fight. I thought that was a bit of a robbery. I thought that was a hometown, some hometown cooking over there. And then obviously that cut that he got against Bontrin. That was a bad cut. I, I feel bad for the guy. They should have stopped that fight. Very bad cut. But the hilarious part was like, he cuts Bontruen first. They stop the fight to look at Bontrin's cut. They're like, "Ah, oh, you're all right. You're all right." <laughs> then Bontruen returns the favor. It's like, "Oh no, Piva! No, let's stop this fight. You're done." It's a bad uh, cut, though. Yeah, bad cut for sure. Um, but uh, with Piva, he goes out there and finally starts righting his wrongs. Right, he comes into the UFC with a very solid record. I think he was 19 and one, if I'm not mistaken, 17 or 18 and one coming into the UFC. Uh, and since, uh, his two losses, he has pulled up two now, uh, Mark De La Rosa absolutely starches him in the second round. Great fight for him. And then the Zalgas Zumagulov fight, right? Zumagulov, uh, kind of a Demir Ismagulov kind of guy, which is a point style uh, fighting, point striking style, uh, staying out of the way of uh, his opponent's big shots. But Paiva was able to do a really good job in terms of, you know, really putting it on him. Uh, Decent volume, good pace, uh, not really letting Paiva close the distance and get his big shots off. Dvorak, on the other hand, great striker, great leg kicks. Obviously, that seems to be what he centers his game around. But I think he's going to struggle to do that here against Paiva, who I believe will have the advantage when it comes to the technical striking abilities. Now, Dvorak has had a decent run on the regional scene, obviously before coming to the UFC, and uh, you know racking up a couple dubs at this point. But I do think that Paiva is being overlooked because of his two losses inside the UFC. How they technically match up to each other? Again, I give the slight edge to Paiva here, but the leg kicks of Devorah I could definitely turn the the fight into onto his side. Uh, I do feel a little bit stronger about Paiva than I do about Edmund. But even with that said, I think that Paiva could find, uh, could get into some trouble if Tavorak is truly successful with landing those leg kicks early, often, and throughout the 15 minutes, because I expect this fight to go over that uh, two and a half mark and hit that uh, judge's scorecard. So I-, I think that the safest per se. Uh, again, it's a little bit juiced at this point, over 2.5, minus 210. If I go to decision, minus 180, a little bit juiced. But I do expect it to go 15 minutes. But I do lean on the Paiva side here. I think that he's going to upset some people. I've seen a lot of people with a lot of strong takes on David think here. But I think that Paiva is going to go out there and, um, yeah, put it on. Uh, volume, uh, distance management, and uh, just land the bigger, better strikes, the more damaging strikes. And I do end up on the Paiva side here by decision. So the exact prop uh piva by decision is sitting at plus 230 me likey how are you liking this one
1: honestly you can make a good case for both of them i won't waste much time here is that fico's the distance man you nailed it yeah. 180 fico's the distance i like that i like that a lot you got two guys that do have a lot of power but they're lighter weight class fighters pava he's has good a good cut of himself got robbed against kai france my opinion if they don't stop that cut uh, that fight due to a cut, and it was a big ass cut. Like, let's the cut fight. doesn't have, he's on his way to TKO and Bontarine, if not in that first round, in that second round. He is breaking him down, he's marching him back, he's got his number, and they stop it due to a cut. Bad luck. <clears throat> but I thought he robbed Zalgaz Zumagulov his last time out, actually. He got outstruck like 66 to 55, but he also got taken down twice. So a really close fight. Uh, MMA Decisions got more media members than not, scoring it for Zalgaz, and then that was kind of the last time we've seen him for a number of months now, but he's only 25 years old. He is getting better. We know he's strong. We know he's a good striker. We know he's durable, but I think that's what it comes down to is the durability, right? <clears throat> he, uh, the Alan Nascimento fight in Contender Series, he gets he get outstruck that fight too, like 105 to 88, I uh, want to split decision, but he takes the damage, no problem. The Kaikar Franz fight, high level in New Zealand, taking a fight in his own backyard, UFC debut, goes around. spottering it's a cut. Zalgus, another decision fight. But then when you look at David Devork, it's the same thing. Impressive, very impressive indeed. <clears throat> but the, the two fights of bruno silva and and jordan espinoza and another really which point did you have them hurt bruno silva is a pretty durable guy but uh again it's a 29 28 decision for him over him and then the fight with jordan espinoza just again talented got the leg kicks i don't know that there's a ton of stopping power there he's not going to knock out pave on leg kicks i really don't think he's knocking out pave clean with his hands and i don't think he's submitting pave flip side to that with Rolly and pave he could win this fight but He's gonna have to hustle him up, he's gonna have to come forward, he's gonna have to land some decent shots. I just don't think he gets the knockout as well. So, the fight, the over two and a half, 210, yeah, that to me that's juiced, but the fight to go the distance at minus 180, minus 185, depending on the book, uh, I I, th- I think that's that's very reasonable. And, um, as far as gun to the head, gotta make a pick, I actually ended up going with Rolian and Pava as well, at least tentatively, but yeah, again, I just it's a dogger pass. You know who really burned me, you. Fucking tried to warn me. You did. You're a good friend. You're a good friend, right? But I had Ludovic Klein. You had Mike Trezano, right? So Ludovic Klein's yeah. another guy. He's coming from the Czech regional scene. He looks like a million dollars. He's got a long, deep wealth of experience on the Czech regional scene. Striking looks good. Kicks look good. Very fluid. Comes to the UFC, knocks out Shane Young. This is a nice-looking prospect. Highly touted. He's a minus 250 favorite over Mike Trezano. So I like him. I like the movement. I like what he brings to the table. But you're right. Trezano is a former Ultimate Fighter veteran. He's got six fights in the UFC. He's training out a very solid camp in which he works with guys like Jimmy Rivera and Julio Arce on the daily. He's going to be more than prepared for the spot. And he came in in good shape and fought an excellent game plan and got the victory. I kind of feel the same thing. Roly Pava has fought Car France. He's fought Rogério Bontorin. He's fought Zaguzuma Gulov, who was the Fight Nights global champion. Yep. He's, he's fought some good guys. And he's given a good account of himself. Whereas the flip side to that is that we've got that... David Dvorak reminds me of of uh, of Ludovic Klein, right? It's like he, he does look flashy. He does look good. He's beaten good regional scene guys. But we don't know how much he makes the jump beyond that. Well, you would counter him with, well, he's 2-0 in the UFC, man. He is looking good. Bruno Silva... Uh, that's a solid victory in hindsight, but it wasn't an easy walk in the park win. And then Jordan Espinosa, no longer with the promotion, didn't particularly get a good account of himself. And, uh, you know, getting exposed by Tim Elliott with the whole, <laughs> I don't know, you're not going to go there, but like on <laughs> national television and then yeah, losing your job. That right was afterwards. crazy. Yeah, yeah. Bad luck. But to go to go from beating those guys to beating Roley Pava is a step up. So it was a close fight. 50-50 fight, Dogger pass, why not take Roley and Pava? But if Dvorak beats Pava, he's beating him by decision. If Pava beats Dvorak, he's beating him by decision. This fight to go the distance, minus 180, that's the move. The only thing that can screw me is if there's $75,000 bonuses. <laughs> is the only possible way that I get screwed on this one. But yeah. I actually feel pretty good about that play.
0: Uh just quickly scrolling through his IG, it seems like he's been spending time at Team Alpha Mill over the last couple of weeks, uh, as, uh, uh, hand in hand with Cody Garbrandt and Ricardo uh, uh, Hamish as well. So sharpening his, sharpening his tools pretty well. Let's see how it actually pays off inside the cage when he steps into it this, this weekend. All right. Let's go on to the next fight. We got Felicia Spencer going up against Norma Dumont, who missed weight very, very bad last time around. And uh, I believe it was a fight against Erin Blanchfield. She comes in and uh, misses weight pretty bad. Looks bad on the scales too. Uh, I don't even think she actually... uh, I'm trying to remember if she actually made the scale or not, but regardless, that fight gets canceled on the day of the weigh-ins, and now she comes back up to 145 pounds to fight one of the only other 145-pounders that the UFC has in the women's division, Felicia Spencer. Interesting fight, right? I I still have so many question marks about about Norma Dumont. Like, there's not too much tape out uh, there to truly uh, be... um, be confident in her, right? The Mariana Morais fight—that's uh, a girl that's going out there and just doing the job for every single women's Brazilian MMA fighter. Let's just go through a couple of the losses that this Morais girl has on her record. First loss: Jennifer Maya. Third loss: Roxanne Modafferi. Fourth loss: Carol Hosa. Fifth <laughs> loss: Ariane Lipsky. Sixth loss: Vanessa Porto. Seventh loss: Lara Procopio. And then she loses to Norma Dumont, Vanessa Melo, and then last time around we saw her only a couple of weeks ago where she got pummeled by Kayla Harrison. So yeah, that's like the only real fight that we can take juice from. And she just wasn't doing that well, right? She wins that fight by majority draw, but you see a lot of holes in her game that Felicia Spencer could absolutely, absolutely go out there and, and take advantage of. But people are starting to get a little bit. Oh, look at that performance against Ashley Evans Smith. You know, goes out there and boxes her up. Uh, you know, has the better of the grappling exchanges. Does some good work there. Um, And now people are thinking, okay, this is what she brings to the table, Uh, which is why I believe that we saw the line movement that we've been seeing throughout the week. I found it absolutely crazy. You see Felicia Spencer open up at minus 215, get all the way down to minus 140. And now the love's coming back away and it's getting to minus 175. I kind of agree with the minus 215 for Felicia, right? You know, she's one of those fighters where where you know what you're going to be getting out of her. If she can complete takedowns, she's going to get you to the ground. She will either find a submission or remain dominant enough in that top position to grind out a decision victory. You can't count out her durability anymore, right? She goes 25 minutes with Amanda Nunes. Sure, that fight could have been stopped on numerous occasions, but the judge or the, the referee probably her Dean. Is she dead yet? No. So it's fine. Let's keep it going. And then even Chris Cyborg, she goes out there and spends 15 minutes uh, striking with her and, and making a good, a good enough account of herself to back up her durability uh, traits that I believe she has. Now, Norma Dumont, again, her striking looked good against Ashley Evan smith but I do think that she's going to start to get challenged, especially once this fight gets dragged to the ground. I don't think she's made the improvements from that Marais fight to come into this fight against Felicia Spencer, who just has that one gear. I'm going to take you down. I'm going to ground you out. I'm going to find that submission. I think I just my only question marks, though, regarding Dumont, though, is what does she truly bring off of her back and isn't going to give Felicia Spencer problems? From what I've seen off of tape, doesn't seem like she's going to put up much of a fight. And I think that Spencer could potentially find that submission of her own. So uh, I'm a little bit confused in regards to what kind of, uh, when we're going to get from Spencer here, but I am quite confident that Spencer does pull out the victory. Spencer by sub plus two ninety five. Spencer by decision plus 200. You want to do a little bit of that double chance. You end up with money regardless, but I do think that she not just one of those, uh, one of those W's, whether it's the submission or the decision for The show's purpose, I'll go with decision, plus 200. Felicia Spencer, by decision, I think she grinds out Norma Dumont. uh, And this might be the end of Norma Dumont, right? Like, you can't miss weight as bad as she did last time around, especially against a short notice opponent who made the weight herself Um, Not a good look, especially for Sean Shelby and Mick Maynard. But I do like what we see from Felicia Spencer. And I think she continues to go out there and be that gatekeeper for Nunes in terms of, you know, is this person worthy of a 145-pound title shot? Probably not. Unless your name is Megan Anderson, I'm still going to beat you and you'll still get a title shot and still get wrecked as everybody expected you to get wrecked. But regardless, I like Felicia Spencer here. And uh, I think she turns away normal Dumont via decision. How do you like it?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. So she makes her UFC debut against Megan Anderson, gets, you know, DKO'd three and a half minutes in the first round. And it's like, oh, well, thanks for coming out. You're not a 145-pounder, yeah. so you can go down to 135 now. And she misses weight against Ashley Evans-Smith. She came in at 139 and a half. So I was like, okay, well, nope, no problem. So now she gets Bia Malecki, which turns out to Aaron Blenchfield. Aaron Blenfield is a flyweight. Yeah. Moving up on a week's notice to take this fight at 135. And she again comes in at 140 pounds. So that's actually back-to-back weight misses. The UFC Knicks is the last one because they're like, we're not going to do this to Blanchfield. And uh, and now it's like as almost as a punishment. It's like you're going back to 145, and you're going to fight the only other featherweight in the division, Felicia Spencer. But it, to me, it didn't seem like she necessarily wanted to fight there on her own um I, i'll admit she's a better striker than felicia spencer i think that they're both they're both bjj black belts they both have decent grappling i'm gonna give the grappling advantage to felicia spencer but spencer's wrestling is not great i mean she does have two takedowns in the ufc but one on megan anderson one on zara fair and that's it the other two fights are against the greatest fighters of all times in cyborg uh, justino and and amanda nunez so yeah hard to take away it's like how, how good realistically is she we know she's durable we know she's got okay cardio we know she's going to come forward, and she's got heart, and she's got the desire to compete, but it just doesn't really look like she's doing a whole lot out there. So I think Dumont could hang around a little bit longer than she needs to and make this a much closer fight than it needs to be. But I would agree with the assessment that Spencer finally does get this fight to the ground at some point, uh, is able to control, has better top control, and uh, wins a decision. It's plus 200. But again, because I got spanked bad last week, I'm trying to look at like what's the, what's the safest route to go in this one. And I really do think this fight goes the distance, a minus 145 i think it covers you on both sides we know felicia spencer is not getting knocked out how do we no. know that she went 25 minutes with amanda nunez and 15 minutes with chris cyborg didn't get knocked out got hit with some of their best shots took it cast iron chin we know she's not getting submitted why because i mean that's her fundamental base she's a bjj black belt she's a competition black belt she's competed and done very good for herself If she loses, if Dumont is able to beat her with the striking, if Dumont's able to stuff those takedowns and keep the standing, if Dumont's able to get these into some deeper waters, let's say, she's not finishing Felicia Spencer. So... I really got to be worried is like what you're looking at. Maybe Felicia Spencer's got such better grappling that she gets the submission. But again, with Spencer, I think that the grappling is mostly going to neutralize itself. She will win from top position, but I don't think she's got the ground and pound to and put her away. And I don't think Dumas is going to give up the submission. So I think this thing banks rounds and as a result, probably ends up going the distance. Minus 145 seemed to be uh, my, my favorite angle as far as prop goes on this particular matchup.
0: I like it. I like it. Yeah, hopefully, we get to see more questions answered about what Norma Dumont truly brings to the table, and I'd like this fight to go 15 minutes so we can get those answers. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We got uh, the perfectly placed heavyweight slot fest, always in that third fight slot on these UFC main cards. We got Jared Vandera against Justin Taffa. We got minus 175 on Justin Taffa, plus 155 on Jared Vandera. This is a fight I want nothing to do with, but I do lean on the Justin Taffa side. We saw a great performance from him last time around the round against Carlos Philippe even though he ended up losing that fight. I think a lot of people expected him to win that fight once it went to the judges' scorecards, cards. I was one of those guys. I thought Philippe, uh, you know, robbed him. Uh, I think that Tafa had the much better, uh, you know, outward, uh, output, uh, much better work in terms of more damaging shots. Um, Philippe just seemed gun-shy in that fight, but just did enough to apparently win the judges' scorecards, and that was very surprising to me. But I'm not ready to completely write off Justin Tafa, as a lot of people were. You know, again, I... I'll admit, I was actually one of those guys that was writing off Justin Taffa, but he showed me something in that Carlos Felipe that that guy can actually scrap. He can put together good combinations as long as he doesn't go out there and get absolutely, you know, mollywhopped and, and dusted like he did against Jorgen Castro. He should be able to go out there and get some good wins. Um, good striking. He's still very young, right? He's only like 20, 27 at this point in time. He's going to be 28 in December. But that that win against Juan Adams, right? Juan Adams, horrible fight IQ doesn't even attempt a takedown uh, within two minutes of that fight and then gets absolutely starched. Now, Jared Vandera, on the other hand, I believe he's a Dan Henderson trained fighter from that uh, Henderson camp. And uh, we know what they're all about, right? Clinch Rick, trying to drag guys to the ground, get, get some top control, maybe get some ground and pound off. I could see that as a plausible way for Vandera to win this fight against Taffa, as long as he doesn't look completely lost on the feet or he pulls a one Adams and just doesn't shoot for two minutes before he gets eventually knocked out. Vandera seems to be almost a laughing stock of the MMA betting community since his performance on the, uh, the, the, the contender series where he went up against Harry Hunsucker. But even before that, right? Like a lot of people just weren't that high on him and thought he got lucked out with Hunsucker coming in on super show in order to fill out that fight. But how he matches up stylistically here. I could see him landing takedowns. I could see him kind of grounding out Justin Taffa. It's just when the fight is on the feet, Vendera just looks a little bit too lost. And I think that Taffa is just crisp enough on the feet to, to really put it on him and eventually find that KO probably in the second round. That's kind of how I see the fight going down. I got Taffa. I got Taffa by KO plus 105. I think that's not too bad of a line. Or even if you want to go with the rounds, Taffa round one plus 225 and Taffa round two plus 475. I don't think those are bad spots. Do you have more ammo or, or more belief in Jared Vander's ability to get this fight to the ground and grind him out? Or do you think Tafa gets a knockout as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, if anything, I'd be looking at from a live betting standpoint that Jared Vander probably loses the first round, maybe lo- loses the first two rounds. But yeah, I mean, he's a mountain of a man, And if he can stay alive in the third round and get this fight to the ground, he does have good ground and pound. Maybe he's able to test Tafa. Tafa's cardio did not look good his last time and against Carlos Felipe. <clears throat> but you got to give him a pass and that he just he doesn't have that experience of going to those later rounds. I'm not sure who's managing this guy's career, but debuts in the UFC at 3 and right? Very young, no experience, Brothers of Glory kickboxing standout, training with Marcon, training with Taito Tuivasi, training with that crew, but at 3 and 0, he signed to the UFC. It's too much too soon. He debuts on a pay-per-view main card. Israel Adesanya versus Robert Whittaker, big pay-per-view too.
0: In a stadium. <laughs>
1: <laughs> In a stadium, and he's on the main card. This is his this is his UFC debut, and he's three and zero, and he gets knocked out. So it's like, oh shit, he got knocked out badly. Walks right into the counter, and it's like, gets knocked out. Okay, let's put him back on another pay per view main card. It's like, okay, and he, and he knocks out Juan Adams. Now he wins. They stick him on prelims. Okay, it was just on two pay per view main cards. Just got a big knockout win. Now they put him on the prelims, and he loses. So they're like. Let's put him back in a main card. It's like, <laughs> what is going on here? Why is this guy just keep getting these main card slots? I don't know. I'll give him this one thing, right? Comes in the UFC. He's only 3 0. He's 25 years old. He's young. He's training with some good guys. But, like, what does he bring to the table? He looked awful against Jorgen De Castro. Like, everything he did was predictable. He had his hands low. He ran right into the counter. It was a very, very bad look. Laughing stock. Now he gets Juan Adams. He's effectively a plus 200 underdog against Juan Adams. He looked way better, way more comfortable. Sat down in the punch, knocks out Juan Adams. Everyone's laughing at Juan Adams and what a bust he is. But noticeably, Tafa did look a lot better. Now you get the, the Carlos Felipe fight. He's never been to the third round. He's never been to decision. He's never been into these fights that gone late. My God, he looked good for the first six, seven minutes. Yeah, And then it started to tire on him. But again, he's only 27. At heavyweight, he's a baby. He's get, He he. You can see he's making improvements. You can see he's starting to tie his game together. You can see the guy has decent striking. Vandera is just too defensively hittable. You know Harry Hunsucker wobbled him twice in the first round on Contender Series before he's able to topple on top of him. He's never been knocked out. And then Sergey Spivak TKOs him his last time out. That's all ground and pound. That's all wrestling. Tafa won't do that to him. Tafa's gonna have to knock him out standing. And so far, I mean, no one's really done that to Vandera. But, yeah, you can't just stand with your chin up in the air and your hands low for long enough. I mean, he just walks straight into the damage, and I think Tafa's going to come in here in better shape. Had never been three rounds. Now that he's been three rounds, that's a learning experience. You build on that, and you get better. Still young, should make the improvement. I would would agree with Tafa. I looked at the Tafa TKO. It's plus 105. It's not quite enough. The Tafa Vandera over 1.5, minus 115. But then again, I mean, this guy's got some big power in his hands. Like, is he gonna knock out Vander in the first round? Hansucker wobbled him twice in the first round. I mean, Tafa's certainly capable of doing it. It feels to me like the kind of heavyweight fight that's gonna get a round and a half in it as someone tires, somebody takes over. <clears throat> but I don't know that I got a super confident lean either side. I guess I guess if I had to pick one over the other, I would take the over one and a half over the toffa by TKO. But, you know, I, I do think Tafa wins. I'm just I'm having trouble settling on a specific prop that I like
0: yeah i do like that you shouted out that over one and a half minus 115 is not too bad of a line considering i do think it's going to take a little bit of time for taffa to establish that striking and then eventually find that knockout so is what it is i'm looking forward to taffa hopefully leveling up here speaking of leveling up we got a great co-main event here one that i'm very much looking forward to we got Yan nan going up against uh carla esparza in terms of the odds we got minus 125 on yan plus 105 on carla but the opener was the interesting part minus 195 on uh, yan Jianan, and then slowly got bet down all the way down to minus 125 a lot of people confident in that carla esparza wrestling and how can you not be especially after the last performance that we saw from yan Jianan against claudia godelia now with carla esparza much better cardio, right? That's something that we can bang on her for to go out there and actually have a solid 15 minutes of landing takedowns, getting good top control, and, and winning minutes. You can't expect that from Claudia Goodellia, but considering how successful she was still in terms of wrangling Yan Nan up against the cage, and even though Yan was the one kind of dishing out the damage, uh, you know, Claudia doesn't have the power and the energy to complete takedowns that late in the fight, not to mention the technique that Carlos Esparza does, which is why Yan was able to keep that fight uh, vertical and just get her strikes going from that aspect, and I think that was a good way for her to, uh, you know, obviously get the win. I'm huge on Yan Nan, right? I'm a big fan of her. I think she has a very fan-friendly style. Her strikes are Obviously, very vicious. Doesn't have a knockout in the UFC, which is weird considering with how much power she was able to throw out there. Very close to getting that doctor stoppage against uh Karolina Kavakovich two fights ago when uh, Kavakovich was not able to see out of her eye. I took a little bit of a poke on Yan uh, by KO as well. I think it was like plus six hundred, plus seven hundred. I was hoping that they're going to stop the fight. Unfortunately, they did not. Uh, But she still goes out there and shows that she has a great cardio uh, or or gas tank of herself, right? She can go 15 minutes by throwing with the power that she does, throwing with the volume that she does. So I like her from that aspect. But I just think that she has poorest takedown defense, and I think that's where Carlos Esparza is going to be able to kind of Take advantage of her, right? This is a, a way different Carlos Barza than what we saw when she uh, lost her title against Yanni and Jacek years ago, right? This is a, a Carlos Barza that's made those. Uh, uh, those improvements in her striking, not to the point to go out there to stand with Yan Zhang for 15 minutes, but she was good enough to go out there and outstrike karate hottie Michelle Watterson for 15 minutes. Where a fight where a lot of people thought that uh, Asparza needed to, to get the fight to the ground to be successful. She's like, Fuck it, I'm gonna I'll go out there and outstrike her, and that's exactly what she did. Um, but I expect her to go out there and take the Marina Rodriguez game plan, which she had last time around, drag this fight to the ground, get that top control don't go for dumbass heel hooks like she did at the last 30 or 40 seconds of the first and second round. Thankfully, the judges still ended up scoring one of those rounds her, so she was able to get the uh, decision victory. But I do think that she has a good enough wrestling game. I think she has the second best wrestling game in that division. Might be first if Tatiana Suarez truly goes up to 125 pounds, as she's been talking about as of late. But I think that Carla Esparza is the best wrestler in this division. Her technique is great. Her chain wrestling is great. Her ability to flow from one takedown to another is going to cause Yan Janan a ton of problems. I don't think working a couple months at Team Alpha Male is going to help Yan Janan enough to stop the takedowns of Carla Esparza. Carla has been wrestling since she's been a fucking kid, from what I know. Like she, She's been wrestling for years and years and years and it shows up until this point even in her last several fights right she goes out there and secures takedown uh takedowns and gets a ton of control time i just don't like what i see from uh, yan nan's back right she's not the most urgent in terms of getting back to her feet when she's at the at the at the wrath of her opponent's top control which i believe carla Esparza has really good uh, top control again she doesn't take herself out of bad positions, seeking a submission. She is a position over submission girl, and I think that's going to be very important for her, especially in a fight like this, against Yan Nan. So as much as I want to pick Yan, as much of a fan as I am of Yan Nan, I think Carla Esparza takes this quite decisively. She has a great chin. I think she'll be able to take the power that's going to be coming her way from Yan Nan and then convert those into takedowns and just ride this one out for the majority of the 15 minutes. So I'm going Carla. Uh, I completely understand the line movement. I completely understand why everybody's on the Carla tr- train and, and driving that line down to where it is right now. But uh, I, I think the best spot to to target would be uh, Carla straight. Obviously, there's a ton of value there still. I think she should be the favorite. But even Carla by decision, which is plus 165, I don't think she submits Yan Janan. People can say what they want about Yan getting caught in that triangle by Angela Hill at the end of that first round we're not going to see Carlos Sparza with the triangle off her back or Gorn for arm triangle chokes. That's not her game. That's not what she does. She takes you down. She grinds you out. She pitter-patters you enough so that the referee doesn't stand you up. She advances position. That's it. That's what Carla does. And that's what I'm expecting her to do here. So plus 165 for Carlos Esparza to win by decision. That's the spot that I like the most. How are you seeing this one?
1: Yeah, dude, I completely under, uh, understand the line movement. It makes a whole lot of sense. You're going to get Carlos Esparza at plus 175. You know it's going the distance. You know it's going to be close. You know it's going to be competitive. Carlos Suarez has got a 50-50 chance of winning this, and if they're going to give you plus 175 on it, it's just an auto-spam bet. Look at all the last fights. Marina Rodriguez, it's a split decision. The Michelle Watterson fights, a split decision. Uh, even before that, Alexa Grosso, it's a majority decision. They're always close. They're always competitive. She does, She's a decision fighter, but she's a very good wrestler. 12 fights in the UFC. She's taken down 11 of those 12 opponents. Only girl she did not take down was Tatiana Suarez, who's... Definitely the best wrestler of the division. We can all admit that. But Carlos Sparza, 39 takedowns in the UFC. And I mean five against Rose Namajunas. Took down Joanny and Jacek. Five against Juliana Lima. Four against Ronda Marcos. Six against Marina Moroz. Two against uh, Cynthia Calvillo. Two against Claudia Godelia. It's like, it goes on and on and on. Vernon Jandernoba, Alex Grosso, uh, Michelle Watterson, Marina Rodriguez are last time out five times. If you're getting in a fight with Carlos Sparza, There's almost one guarantee that at some point he will get taken down. Now, can you work your way back up? Can you force her to work? Michelle Watterson was able to do that. Michelle Watterson was able to get taken down the first and second and the third. Stuff him, stuff him. And what does the to do? She's been working on her boxing. She just bull rushes forward, lets her hands go. The threat of the takedown is always present, so it causes you to fight with your hands a little bit lower and and allows her to get to the punch a little bit faster. Like, yeah, she finds ways to win. The fact that Rose Nama Yunus is the champ now. And we've gone right through the gamut, right? Jessica Andrade had the title. Whaley Zhang knocks her out. Jessica Andrade smokes Rose on her head. Rose gets the title back. Carla's waiting in the wing, baby. This is her chance oh, yeah. to shine. She goes out there, she gets a victory. It's a very good storyline to write her back into a fight with Rose Namajunas, and a fun fight. She knows that the opportunity is there, so she needs to go out there and she needs to perform first and foremost. With Jan, it's like Jan's making a lot of improvements as well. Winning over Angela Hill, winning over Claudio uh, Gadelha. Those are those are solid victories. She's making improvements. But takedown defense does seem to be an issue. Let's let's not forget this is someone who was taken down by Kayleen Curran once upon a time. The moment's going to come where a better wrestler is going to come back along and going to pose some problems. If Asparz is as able to mix this up with the wrestling, she's going to win this. If Jan's able to stuff more takedowns than not, keep this thing standing, I would give her a slight advantage. Either way, this fight's going the distance. Now, fight goes the distance, minus 335. Oddsmakers, th- they're on the same side. <laughs> I'm on the same side. I'm probably going to parlay up this fight goes the distance, even though it's 335. But it's plus money and good plus money, both sides, for a win by decision. So you touched on the Carlos Spars, a plus 165 by decision, and it's plus 140 for a yawn decision. Now, how does Carlo win? Well, the same way she wins all of her recent fights. Four fight winning streak right now, all four of them by decision. She's a decision fighter. She does have some submissions in her game from way back when. The power's not quite there in terms of TKO but if, if Carla wins this fight, she gets the fight to the ground, position over submission like you mentioned, grind her down, out grappler, win the decision. If Jan's able to stuff those shots, keep this fight standing, and box her up, still going to decision. I mean, she's 4-0 in the UFC, four wins by decision. Again, this thing's going 15. 335, this thing goes to 15. Ozmakers agree, but good plus money both sides. So, yeah, I almost feel like putting $100 on Jan by decision and $100 on Carlos Sparza by decision. I hope Carlo wins and I'll profit $65. Or if Jan happens to win, well, I guess I'll profit $40. Uh, if you're a big gambler, you bet more. If you're a smaller gambler, you're small. It's just like, you know, a round number just to, to make mention. That plus 140, plus 165, you could bet at both sides and hope that nobody slips on a banana peel and uh, he ends up with like a shattered ankle TKO or like some buzzer beater submission or something.
0: Tisha Torres, name. Sam Hughes. Just quit? <laughs> yeah, man,
1: that one was tough. But you know what? That's what I love this sport. You you see yeah. that fight, you, you download the information, and then you max bet Luka Bume the next time. Like, <laughs> you know, like, it's all about learning and experiences and lessons. So, uh, sure. yeah, the lesson learned with Carlos Sparza, she's a junkyard dog. She comes forward, she mixes it up, she makes it a close fight. If you got plus money on her, that was 100% the move. Now that it's even money, I don't know that I have a, a very strong lean either side. But I do think this thing goes the distance. So I'm looking at that goes the distance. And I think I might just spam bet the plus money for uh, either fighter to win a decision on both sides.
0: Yeah, I'd be surprised if we see a uh, finish here. I can't believe that we're coming up close to six years, just over six years now, that Carla Esparza defended that, or not defended, but got whooped by Yuan and Jacek. But she's made a ton of improvements in that amount of time. And it's great to see her kind of truly flush out now on a four-fight winning streak, possibly getting this fifth one, and then maybe finding herself in a title fight. Uh, very, very short. Uh, again, this is in the cold main event slot. So they do think very highly of this matchup. I'm I'm thinking the UFC wants Yanjiannan to win this fight. I think they want to get another Chinese start. on the grid Um, and uh, especially the way that she fights as nasty as she fights. I can absolutely understand their approach in, in that aspect. All right. Let's move to the main event here. This fight, I'm very, very much looking forward to. Very great fight. Big spot for Rob Font coming in after that big win over Marlon Moraes last time around. He takes on the returning Cody Garbrandt. We haven't seen Garbrandt in the cage since uh, UFC 250, where he was able to uh, deliver a very highlight reel knockout against Rafael Assuncao, that one where he's just waiting up against the cage and then just throws the most telegraphed shot out there. And Rafael Assuncao goes down like a sack of potatoes. But... Uh, good win for Cody. Good way to for him to bounce back, especially after that three fight losing streak that he was on. Not sure where his mentality was in that amount of time, but he does come back and, and he wins very successfully. Now he finds himself uh, or did find himself originally in a, t- a flyweight title shot, uh, against Davison Figueredo back in November. That fight gets canceled. I, I'm not sure exactly what happened. I think, uh, it was obviously uh, Cody that pulled out a uh, guard torn bicep, is what, uh, Tapology is showing us right now so that's something uh, obviously another x factor we need to consider going into this fight uh against rob font who's streaking in his own right right the big win over last time uh big win last time around uh, against marlon uh, Moraes isn't currently on a three-fight winning streak win over sergio pettis decision there ricky simone win over him as well decision and then marlon Moraes absolutely disposes him and that uh in that first round. Beautiful, beautiful win. Great way they style up, right? Cody Garbrandt, a little bit more efficient with his hands. Great boxer, great timing, uh, good speed, decent footwork. The way that he dismantled Dominic Cruz, the way that he did great performance uh, from there. And then Rob Fonten in his own way is really starting to etch out his own, uh, legacy and his own path with, with his striking style, which is really more, uh, Muay Thai based, right? Shout out to Mark Delagradi, I think was, his, one of his main coaches, um, New England cartel slowly starting to take over. Obviously, Calvin Cater falls flat on his face back in January against Max Holloway. But, again, that's fucking Max Hallway out there. Rob Font might be the the pride and joy of the New England cartel, especially if he's able to go out there and uh, pull off the win over Cody Garbrandt this weekend. And I think he does. I like what he brings to the table a little bit more in terms of his versatility uh, of strikes that he brings to the table, right? He's just truly a Muay Thai fighter. He likes to get his knees involved. He likes to get his kicks involved, his elbows, all of that stuff. Whereas Cody Garbrandt is more so... You know he's trying to time you. He's he he's trying to find the the the, the right punches. Uh, great power in his hands, as we obviously know. But I think the output is going to be the difference maker here with Rob Font being a little bit more busier. Not saying that this going to the judges' scorecards, but I think his ability to stay busier is eventually going to find that chin of Cody Garbrand, and I think that he's going to uh, possibly put him down later in this fight. I'm not going to completely. Uh, say that, you know, uh, Cody Garbrandt's a, a write-off when it comes to uh, to his chin. Obviously, most of his losses are coming by by his chin issues, but could also be very much so uh, said because of his fight IQ, right? The Pedro Munoz fight gets inadvertently headbutt, gets angry, sees red, starts throwing absolute haymakers, and Pedro Munoz is happy to oblige, goes out there and knocks him out. The TJ Dillashaw fight, very emotionally driven fight for both guys both times and I think he just sticks a little bit too long in the pocket because of his pride, because of his emotions, and then eventually gets knocked out. Hopefully he's able to... Taper that back here against Rob Font. It doesn't seem like there's too much bad blood here, so emotions are probably taken off the table. But still, when it comes to trading in the pocket, Cody Garbrandt will always have that macho ness in him. He'll always have that alpha male in him to go out there and want to be the bigger puncher and get the, be the guy that actually gets the knockout. And you don't want to do that against Rob Font. Rob Font has very deceiving power, just as we saw in the Marlon Moraes fight. Right, not a lot of people expected him to finish him the way that he did, but he did. I thought if people were expecting Rob Font to finish Marlon Moraes, it was going to come later in the fight. Nah, he's like, fuck it. I'm doing this in the first round. And he was very successful in doing so. But I do like Rob Font here. I like his Muay Thai game. I think he's a slicker striker ever so slightly. Uh, And I think that he's going to be able to catch Cody Garbrandt on uh, on a counter here and then eventually put him down. So the props I'm looking at, Rob Font, um... KO, plus 177, not too bad of a line. Uh, Rob Font, even inside the distance in case he decides to go for a choke, I don't think that's going to happen, but plus 145 is not too bad of a line. And then if you want to start attacking round props, you guys know I like round props. I think this is going to take uh, a couple rounds to truly uh, get into it, right? Rob Font, round three, plus 1,000. Rob Font, round four, plus 1,600, not too bad of a line, as I do believe that's going to come in those one, two, one of those two spots. The last thing I'll say about this, under 4.5, minus 245, I don't think that's a bad line if you want to go out there and parlay that. Or even the uh, fight does not start round four, minus 175. I like that too. How are you seeing this one?
1: yeah i agree i think rob font's eventually going to catch him <clears throat> at some point cody garbaran is supremely talented but you need durability in this game that's what it comes down to you can have great boxing which he does he's a former state wrestling champion he's got some wrestling training at team alpha male he's got the bravado he's got the confidence five rounds of Dominick cruz dancing in there feeling so free as a bird cardio doesn't seem to be an issue it's like well, what is this guy downside it's the durability it's that if you at some point chin check him he, he falls over and his injuries are starting to pile up on him Keep in mind, he's only 29 years old. And this this is just the medical history of him that that we are aware of. But uh, on The Ultimate Fighter, TJ mentioned the fact that he's got concussion problems. Dominic Cruz had also talked about the fact that he had spoken to some of his prior training partners, and that was like a big thing about Cody Garbrandt, he's got these concussion problems. Okay, whatever. Let's, Let's move on past that. He pulls out of the first TJ Dillashaw fight at UFC 213 with a back injury right crippling back injury despite the fact that there's a video online of, of uh, Danny Castillo wrestling him at a house party it's like his back's real bad bad shape man has to pull out of the fight okay fair enough then you get the first Rafael South fight where Carbran pulls out with kidney issues then he pulls out of the Davidson Figueredo fight with a torn bicep and then he got COVID but not just like your average regular I got COVID guy he's one of these like Kazmat Chmajevs who are like yeah like I'm still messed up from it my lungs are fried like It's just one thing after another with Cody Garbrandt. And yeah, he is extremely talented, but I feel like it is that bravado. At some point, he's going to stand in the middle of the octagon with you, and he's going to let his hands fly. Dominic Cruz is a supremely talented fighter, but he's got an awkward, unorthodox style, and he's not really the biggest power puncher. So, could Cody feel loose, feel free in that fight because he wasn't afraid of what was coming back? Sure. But TJ Dillashaw, hard power puncher, guy that's dynamic, guy that's versatile, he knocks him out. Drops him twice in the first time, knocks him out. Second time, the rematch, not even competitive. He knocks him out. The Pedro Munoz fight. Cody starts good. He's looking good. The leg kicks immobilized him tremendously, and that's what I keep coming back to. This fight with Rob Font. Rob Font. They're both five foot eight, but Rob Font has a six inch reach advantage. Seventy one inches versus sixty five inches. He's got a nasty jab. He's going to stay to the outside. He's going to pick him apart. Cody Garbrandt's got one of two options. Option A. He's going to have to move through the fire. He's not going to be able to stand that distance and jab with him. He's giving up six inches. He has to move through the fire. If he moves through the fire, he's going to get countered. If he stays back, he's going to get jabbed apart. So I think it's going to be a bad spot for him. But I also go back to the leg kicks. Now, Pedro Munoz has amazing leg kicks. But... Font would be wise to look back at the tape, and I'm sure Della Grotti has, and realize, yeah. you know what, this guy is a boxer. This guy's heavy on his, on his front feet. He's flat-footed a lot of the time. The lead leg is there to get kicked. And after half a dozen kicks from Pedro Munoz, he starts wobbling on it. Then he gets desperate. Then he gets headbutted. Then he gets real desperate. Then he gets knocked out. Font is the same thing. Font's been working a lot, man. At one point, it was like, ah, oh, you know, he's just a top 15 guy at best in the, in the UFC. And then his takedown defense was a problem. And you could just take him down. And the Ricky Simone fight, right? He gets taken down six times, works his way back up the entire time, and feeds him the jab. The jab is on point in that fight, right? Just feeds it. Again, shorter guy, shorter reach, beats him with the punch consistently. Then that fight with Marlon Moraes, right? Again, he does get taken down twice in the early portion of the round. It is, oh, well, classic. But Font, man, he's been working a lot on his ground game. You see this guy get back up, it, it's 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 good. He looks good. Now, keep in mind, before Marlon Marais, he had not knocked out anybody since Thomas Almeida three years ago. So maybe there's the idea of, like, oh, wow, well, he's not really a power puncher. Mm, make no mistake about it. Calvin Cater. Look at Calvin Cater's regional show career before coming to the UFC. Can't bust a grape. Well, they're all decisions. Comes to the UFC, and it's like, He's getting better. He's working with they They're making improvements. Now all of a sudden, the Boston finisher is a legitimate finisher. Calvin Cato's got nasty hands and great knockout ability. It's like putting it all together, finding your own. Rob Font is exactly that. I was worried in the Marlin fight that he was coming off a year and a half long layoff getting reconstructive knee surgery. But man, cardio looked on point. Confidence looked on point. Striking looked on point. Hand speed looked on point. He looked really good in that Marlin fight. So I think same thing here. He's going to come out with Cody Garbrandt. Not only am I betting Font Now, not only going to take that font by TKO. I think it's a good live betting spot as well. In that Cody Garbrandt's probably going to look good in the first round. You know, he's got blistering hand speed himself. You know, he's a good boxer. He probably lands a few good shots. Doesn't get knocked out in the first. This thing's competitive. Maybe we can get a good live bet on Rob on Rob Font at plus money as well. Who knows how it plays out? But this is a gunfight between a Cody Garbrandt who's been dropped multiple times, does have concussion issues. I think he will get knocked out, and a Rob Font that in. While in his entire pro career, he's never been knocked out. But in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 UFC fights, he's never even been knocked down. He's fought the likes of Thomas Almeida. He's fought Hafela Assuncao. He fought Bellator champion Sergio Pettis. He fought Marlon Moraes. He fought Douglas D'Andrade, who is a bruiser. He fought Matt Chanel. He fought John Lineker. Did not get dropped once. He's never been knocked down. So his chin's good, man. It is. And I think that if he goes and stands toe-to-toe with Cody Garbrandt, I'm going to back his chin more than I'm backing Garbrandt. So if one guy's going out on the shield, I want the guy that's got a a nice, nice, shiny one made of iron, not the one using a busted-up one made out of wood. So uh, I got to go with Rob Font as well. I agree with what you're saying. Maybe this thing gets a couple rounds in before somebody topples over. But with Cody Garbrandt, he's always like, one emotion away from just saying fuck it and just like stand in the front of you and swing and bomb. So it's, it's hard to bang on like an over or an under two and a half. My heart tells me the under two and a half. It really does. But uh, as far as a prop that I like on this one straight up, um, I like the the P- Rob font by TKO plus a plus one seventy seven.
0: I like it. I do want to shout out my guy, Stephen green here. His chin cushion is coming along very well but it's not quite up to luck standards. As I shaved yet. mine. All right, so I know. Knows, <laughs> Hopefully that makes an appearance real soon. But uh, yeah, Cody Garbrandt putting a very solid chin or a or, uh, beard on him. I'm not sure how much it's actually going to help out his chin issues, though. All right. That's the card. Appreciate everybody checking it out. Obviously, we're going to flip on over to our three best bets that we have for you guys uh, before we get on up on, out of here. But I do want to, once again, make the announcement for next week's oh, – Give me one sec. My screen is flipping out on me. (laughs) There we go. Uh, Tomorrow, Ultimate Weigh-In Show. We got the cast together. We got my guy Dave Milhouse from Line Sniper HQ who's going to be dropping by. Very solid guy. I know Cody just chopped it up with him either today or yesterday or the day before to talk about this card uh love my guy, uh, Dave Millerhouse. He's going to be joining us. We have my guy, Craig Allen, one half of the Fight Night Picks brothers. He's going to be coming on the show as well. Solid dude. Love his enthusiasm. Love his knowledge. Can't wait to break it down with him. And then lastly, a guy that's a little bit less known, but very solid guy himself, Brian Peachtree from MMA Takes Podcast. Very good guy. Very professional. Has a great setup like myself, uh, but is very knowledgeable in the sport too. So I can't wait to break it down with you guys and them tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Eastern. So make sure you guys join us as well. Uh, And it seems like Fight Night Picks is in the chat checking us out. So appreciate appreciate you guys checking it out. Uh, Let's definitely get into it. I can't wait to do that stream with you guys tomorrow afternoon or sorry, tomorrow evening at 9 p.m. Eastern. Hopefully, you guys can join us for that. All right. Let's get into our three best prop bets for this card. And first and foremost, I'll go up as I always do. I have Bruno Silva minus 125 inside the distance. Again, probably the spot that I feel very, very confident about this weekend. Um, yeah, I think he beats Victor Rodriguez pretty much any way that he wants. I gaffed and I, I absolutely whiffed on it last time around with Ricky Simone and Gaetano Pirello. The only action I had on that unofficially and, and even track was uh, round one for Ricky Simone, and he decides to go out there and play it a little bit safer in round one than and finish him in the round two. So I, I, I gaffed there, but uh, I should have hit the inside the distance. I should have hit the under one and a half, but I failed to do so regardless. Bruno Silva inside the distance, minus 125. I'll be having some of that. I'll also be having the under two and a half, which is roughly around minus 150. We'll be hitting that as well. And then, uh, yeah, Bruno Silva, very good parlay piece too. If you guys want to take him straight. Secondly, I got Ismagulov via decision minus 125 as well. I think he comes back and has a very successful performance two years after stepping into the cage uh, last time, but I think that this is a great matchup for him with Rafael Alves. The only concern as to why I don't feel stronger with this play than I do the Bruno Silva inside the distance is Rafael Alves' gas tank. Will his gas tank fail him? Will he be able to make it to the judges' scorecards I think he will, but I do have a little bit of a hesitation there, which is why I feel more comfortable with the Bruno Silva inside the distance. Regardless, Isma via decision is a good spot. Ismagulov historically has shown to be that guy that doesn't mind going 15 minutes and uh, kind of pitter-pattering his opponents, doing what needs to be done to win every single round. He's had nine rounds inside the UFC so far, hasn't lost one of them, and I expect the same thing this weekend when he goes out there and dusts up on Hafia Alves. I will say if you guys are a little bit skeptical about Alva or Ismagulov regarding his long layoff, Plus eleven twenty five on Alvis inside round one is not a is not a bad hedge if you are looking to hedge out a little bit, but your man ain't a hedger. Just saying. I'm just throwing it out for you guys. All right. Lastly, uh Carlos Sparza, V decision, plus 165. So no big plus money plays on my side in terms of props this weekend. I, I'm not a big fan of what we've been seeing out there, but this is the biggest one that I like. Carla Sparza, I think she goes out there. Lands takes takedowns at will against Yan Xiaonan. I don't think that Jean will be able to knock out Carla as we've seen her have. Very good durability, and Jeannine obviously struggling to get a lot of her past opponents out of there. I th- I think if uh, she finished Claudia Goodelia. I'd be a little bit more scared if I was Carla Esparza, but the fact that Gadelia was able to go the full 50 minutes, wrangle her up up uh, against the cage, I think Carlos Esparza will have the exact same uh, benefits here and exact same success in terms of wrangling her and dragging her down to the cage, chain wrestling, chain wrestling, chain wrestling, get this fight to the ground, and control for as much of those 50 minutes as you can and cast that plus 165 Carla by decision. All right, Cody, you're up next, brother.
1: Okay, yeah, well, I'm going to have to start off with, got to get a little, you know, minus 145 action. We're going to start off with uh, Spencer Dumont fight goes the distance, minus 145. Honestly, I do think it's two grapplers going to be squaring off with each other. Am I a little bit worried that Spencer's able to put Dorma Dumont in a compromising position on the ground and fish for something late potentially, but as far as Dumont goes, Dumont's not finishing Spencer. We've seen Spencer's got legendary durability in her striking. I I don't think she's getting submitted. I think this thing is going to bank some rounds. There's a couple spots in this car that I like as well. However, I want to go Manpri style. I want to go franchise, baby. I want to go lock the night. I want the big plus money plays. So I forego some of my three to ones and some of my minus 185s to go with the minus 145. And now we're gonna go font KO plus 177. We talked about the main event. Cody garbrandt he's exciting, he's a he's a fun fighter, he's one of these guys that lives and dies by the shield. And if he's gonna go out on the shield here, it's gonna be a difficult night for him. I think that Rob Font is making a lot of improvements. Uh, I like what I saw him his last time out against Marlon Moraes, but overall it's just been the last 3 or 4 fights you do see a build out of him I was worried about the knee injury he showed last time out it's a non-issue this is 5 rounds I think that he probably gets him out halfway through the 2nd or 3rd round but this is going to be very fun for as long as it lasts and if you're going to give me Font plus 177 by knockout I can't look away from that and then finally we're going to cap things off with a Court McGee by decision <laughs> plus 185 again Court McGee is the guy that used to fight at 185 and he's all the way down to uh, 170 now taking on you know, I just really think with, with, with Claudio, it's that he, he's got one round of cardio, and now he's been relying a lot on submitting guys, but Court McGee's never been submitted as a professional. Temporal loss has never been submitted, been knocked out one time. I mean, he's been there, done that with a lot of the best guys in the division, and if anything, he's serviceable. He's a grinder, he's serviceable. He sticks around a little too long. Sean Brady styles on him for two rounds, and then what do you know? Court McGee's still there. Sean Brady, young, talented, BJJ Blackwell, great stand-up skills. Uh, he's tiring, because Court's still there. What do you think's gonna happen to to Claudio Silva when he's gassed? This guy gasses extremely fast. He won't still be there. He'll top her over at some point. Court will get the job done by decision. Plus one eighty-five. It just seemed uh, too good to look away from.
0: All right, I like it. We got some solid. Prop bets for you guys. I'm sorry that there's no plus 500 and above that I'm going to drop on you guys, but there's nothing that I feel uh, that confident about. But Bruno Silva inside the distance is going to go of decision. And as far as the decision on the spot side, so I feel really, really good. And I hope that we can go 3-0 on my side, and obviously 3-0 on Cody's side as well with what he has to offer here. All right, Cody, we're on the back end here. Oh, almost booted him out of there. There we go. <laughs> we're on the back end here. I'll give you the platform to say what you want on the way out, and then I'll wrap things up, brother. Yeah, Twitter at CJ CJSafdick,
1: you can also find me on YouTube now, uh, CJ MMA, so yeah, just building that out, going to be doing recaps for UFC, we can do a Bellator recap, just, yeah, anything, there's been a lot of good fights on lately, a lot of fights in general, so we're going to be doing recaps, we're going to do previews for PFL, Bellator, all that jazz, and then yeah, stay tuned, we got some cool stuff that's going to be launching in about a week or two but I don't want to let the cat out of the bag just quite yet. By the way, you ever looked at the the, the expression letting the cat out of the bag? I, I won't waste not. your time right now, but Google it later. It's whack. Okay. Uh, but anyways, yeah, fun, fun, exciting stuff to go through. If you've got any questions, causes, or concerns, hit me up on Twitter at CJSafdick. We'd love to chat with you guys. And as always, thanks for taking the time and joining us tonight. Hopefully we can cash a couple of these props, make it a nice, profitable Saturday
0: absolutely and always you guys can follow his youtube channel again CJMMA. link is in the description below so you guys don't have to go out there and search for it just make sure you guys check it out subscribe and uh he'll be throwing up a bunch more content on that i can't wait for that all right that's a wrap on us and just a reminder 7 p.m main card start time 4 p.m Early prelim start time. So don't get caught uh napping on the card. And not to mention, next weekend, no fights. We got no UFC next weekend. So it's a dead week, at least in terms of content coming out on my channel. I might do a locky late night or something for you guys. Um, but then we're we pick things right back up with a blistering heavyweight main event between Jersey Narosa Strike and Augusto Sakai. So uh I don't know if I can say I can't wait for that one, but it is what it is. All right. Appreciate everybody checking it out. Make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe on the way out. Follow my guys, CJ Slavtic on Twitter. Follow me at MMALOTN on Twitter. And then subscribe to both of our channels. Links are in the description below. Good luck on your best this weekend. And I'll see you guys tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Eastern, the Ultimate in Show. See you guys then.